What's up, everybody, and welcome to Flagrant. And today, we are joined by Trump's new running mate, man. VP, he's amazing. You're here to tell us you're running with Trump. VP, what do you think? Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking things through, man. You know, we... Uh, Wait we, a minute. We're, I was being sarcastic. That oh, looks like confirmation. No, no, no. We're... we're uh, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to see him tonight. We're really? Gonna, just at a rally to support him. Oh, okay. And, I love you know, that you said you the we're truth. thinking things through. Like this is a mutual decision. <laughs> I really like well, that. I mean, my, my view is whatever role somebody takes on. So I've run companies, and one of the things I've learned is when you hire people, you got to make sure that everybody is swimming in the same direction. It's not one person's fault or another person's fault. Yeah. But if you have, you know, if you got daylight between you, even if a company or an enterprise or whatever you're yeah. building, you don't want to figure that out years in. Gotcha. It's good. It's good to figure that out. So you guys have synergy because he did have synergy. I think we we definitely we're definitely in for the same mission of saving the country. Overall mission and, and the role that each of us plays. Well, I'm hit the role he's going to play is the next president, and the role I'm going to play, whether it's inside government or outside government, we're going to figure it out. Now he did deliver a headshot before the primary. I mean, we're we're competing, man. We're we're. But you were loving him. I was loving the country, and that's what I've been loving the whole time. Now, he didn't like some things I said about him. And, like what? And, what did you say? Well, I think um, it, was, it was the— well, <laughs> Show him that size what, 14, bro. I didn't know. <laughs> that size got a size 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a well-built, but, well-built Indian right That's right. That's, I never <laughs> lived up on the height. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was approaching. I was getting right there at about six feet flat, yeah. and that was not what stopped. a size 14 predicts. Okay, but tell us. Okay, so he, he delivers so, this shot. He said that there are some things that you didn't—that uh, he didn't like. Yeah, I mean, it was a primary. We're running against each other and so i play to win and so we all play to win but i respect i've said it every step but i and i meant it i respect his legacy and what he did for the country okay he kept us out of war and he grew the economy okay i think those are two of the most important things a president can do yeah he also rolled over the log of the deep state right and we saw what crawled out i need to learn about the deep state i want to get into all we can get into all of that part of my notes and so so i said one of my things that's in the campaign is he rolled over that log and we saw what crawled out Mm -hmm. i'm bringing the pesticide and that, that was my view. Is you so have to you want to take out the deep state. You actually, actually want to just Who spray it down. State? Give me a name. It's not. An, it's, you're missing the point if you're asking the question. It's a system. It's that a was system. some good it's political shit you just did right there. <laughs> it's a machine. It's, it's the truth. Right. Imagine yeah. in one of your companies, like yeah. you asked the people at the company, like you own the company, yeah. and you're talking to your CEO, and you're like, who is the problem source in this company? And then somebody said back to you, they're like- It's the machine. It's, if you're asking a question, you don't even know the answer. <laughs> like, 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 I, I, I would listen to, to it, Nancy Pelosi? I would listen to it. it, it it's, it's the, it's, she's a cog. She's a cog. These are all cogs in a deep Give me some cogs. I want to know about the cogs. Are you a cog in the machine? I'd like to think not. But and, and and I'm not right now. But if you get in there for eight years, maybe you become one. And then it's time to get the hell out. Actually, so that's my view: is get in there, do your service, get out. Know when to drop the mic. And I think it takes fresh blood to do it. I think you get to be an outsider, a solid outsider, like a true outsider once. And so that was my whole premise in this race: is yes. I'm going to take the America First agenda to the next level. Yeah. Reach the next generation while doing it. Forget the Republicans. Forget the Democrats. Yeah. Build a movement that's founded on. Two basic ideas. Yeah. I, I think these are not particularly partisan ideas. I think they're rather obvious, but apparently they're controversial today. The people who we elect to run the government should be the ones who actually run the government. Yeah. That's number one, not unelected bureaucrats. So whoever it is, agree, disagree with me, partisan, black, white, doesn't matter. The people we elect to run the government should run the government. And the moral duty that they owe yeah. is to the citizens of this nation, not another one. Boom. There we That's go. That's it. That's the whole premise. Hmm. And so the fact that that was as controversial as it came out to be hmm. in this in this race, 
I think revealed a lot about where we are as a country and gives me a redoubled sense of purpose to, if it's not going to be as the next president, which is how I hoped to make a positive difference in this country, I'm going to find what the next best Maybe way is. Maybe VP. Do so, you think you're too we'll qualified to be VP? Like, I don't know that. I mean, usually ever, it's, I don't see things as like a hierarchy. No, like no, no. President not, number one, VP. And I don't know that VP. Imagine it's yeah. a caste system. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking to, you know, <laughs> familiar concepts. <Yeah. laughs> no, but is a it. casting decision. There we go. Actually there we go. Yeah, that's more what I meant. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay. That's what I, that's what I thought you meant. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm referring no, to my former acting, no my former comedian career. That's right. I saw that you were Right. Ten shows. Class. Ten shows. You did ten shows. Give yeah. us. Oh, do you have a bit? Uh, they were. They were not very good. No, this but is, we would love about, to hear a about premise. Seven, eight years. I, what's it, what was the premise? premise even. First the ten. premise. The see. The thing is, the premise was just based on exaggerated versions of my life, right? And so there were. It, it was like I would I say I have a demographic. I probably. have no native. <laughs> I have no native talent for comedy. Yeah. I would say that, but I was amazing. I went to this American comedy Institute. Yeah. You know, this one in, no. uh, it's, there's there some people went through there yeah. who were like, you know, aspiring comedians or whatever. And I just did in the evenings at my job and I clearly had interests that went beyond my job. Eventually it's what led to me starting my company. But anyway, I went to this class and you know, the guy actually had kind of a formula where without having native God given gift for comedy to still <laughs> make it passable. Yeah. Actually, it yeah. wasn't, it was, I wasn't great, but it was not horrendous. And the thing he told me was, and this is how it actually led me, and I owe him gratitude because it's what led me to found my first company, is he said, take a notebook. Wherever, like, this is an exception that I don't have it with me right now. I've kept yeah. it a decade later. Still do it. Take a notebook everywhere you go. Anytime something annoys the hell out of you, yeah. write it down. How many and then, notes and then, are about black people? Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's I self-censor. I self-censor. That? Sorry. <laughs> that's right. It was, uh, the, the, the notebook was black. <laughs> but there were white pages inside. Little, little black book. National that's Unity. Together. So the beauty. Yeah, so just yeah. think of it, the beauty of that. Yeah, it's such a beautiful yeah, It's a deep, right? And so, and so, if you didn't so. use a brown pen, you would sell out. I'll tell you that right <laughs> that's, right, that's right. I probably did. You I many do you remember books. any of the bits, though? I, I not, not super well, to be honest. You need 10 years ago. You need Alzheimer's medication, dude. That's what you did. But I wouldn't know how to bring you one of those. I wouldn't. I wouldn't oh. be the guy to help you on that. We're gonna get to your drug so, dealing days in a while. This yeah. guy used to deal drugs. Legal, yeah. the legal, the more profitable kind. Don't legal. Talk drugs. about legal. Like, <laughs> it's cooler to be like I deal the, drugs. The, the, you know? Yeah. The, uh, Almost everybody on this, uh, you know, sofa couch uh, chair situation has dealt drugs. Did you? Is not? that right? Yeah. In a life. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not an exception. I mean, the majority yeah. of us. Yeah. Did you sell drugs at all? Uh, no, I bought oregano one time from a drug dealer. Oh, sick. Yeah. Oregano? So, yeah, on accident. I thought it was a deal. Did, did you, yeah. How did you consume it? I thought you it was weed, and then it was not weed. <laughs> yeah. oh. No, he did not. <laughs> he did not. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, no, wait. So, so you being too competent to be Trump's VP, this is what my concern is. Is that like the oh, last- Oh, just let me just finish story, because I want to leave people with this advice, especially young people for being an aspiring entrepreneur. So I took the notebook down. Anytime something annoys you, there's a joke in it. Yeah. But actually, it's the best advice that I could give you for starting a business. Actually, ah. that's where I wanted to land that because that's what led me to start. Because your frustrations, will your often, frustrations are often rooted in something real in the world. They need to be. And solved, then your yeah. emotional attitude to that is part of what gives you the passion to, for a good comedian, apparently tell a joke. It's but great. In idea. my case, it ended up taking me in a different direction. So anyway, that was okay. Seal that off. VP. I, I don't know if it's the right role or not. Kamala Harris, genius. She can, you know, she's in charge of AI policy, man. I don't know if she can spell AI, but I think that yeah, she's in yeah, charge of AI yeah, policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So there must be something good, good. good there. Good. I like she it. must you be. I like good. Good. Get the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, so, uh, yeah, so, so, that, so I don't know what's going Pence, on there. Pence, goofball, right? I mean, genius. 
right? He's, a, he's an absolute. <laughs> he's passionate, a man, passion, man full of passion, love, and a man full of a man full of bro. You know, <laughs> charisma you know and brilliance. Videos exuding you, that every day. You try to convince people in Iowa that you believe in Jesus and the other gods. Yeah, I tell the truth, man, about my beliefs. You're like, we believe Jesus is a son of God. That's what I said. Jesus is a son of God, which is different than saying he's the son of God. And the guy's talking to a presidential nominee. He goes. There's one son of God. <laughs> I mean, look, I will respect, there, there, were, there were a number of people who I met who struggled, one pastor towards the end of the campaign, and he wrote a, an extensive post, which was, and he's an influential pastor, and he's a, he's a good man, but he wrote, I, didn't, I hadn't met him at this time, a, part of a demonic cult, the way, you know, the way he describes Hinduism, and, and he recommends everybody <laughs> vote against the member of a demonic cult being our U.S. president. He wrote that about you? Oh, yeah. It was an extensive <laughs> post. No, but it, I think those are the words, exact words, demonic cult. But what's the justification? So I think people were just like, stay, you know, stay away from me. What did you say to him? I called the, him. I called him on the yeah, phone yeah. and I said I would love to sit down with him. He came out you the, show up in, in like the middle a of a blizzard. Outfit. In the Some middle of a blizzard, he came out and he listened. And we had a deep conversation on the back of my campaign bus afterwards. Yeah. And he brought a, he, he's a collector of ancient books. He brought, he said it was the most valued book and he left it with me. I'm still, I, I promised him I would read it and I would. It hasn't been yeah. that long since the end of the campaign. But the in book, his world, I, it, it's about, it's, it's a book about the values that informed American history. Ah. And it was a signed book by the author and it's not in print anymore. It's yeah. an old book. And, I, and it had real sentimental value to him. He then, after our talk, had an extensive post on, you want me to pull it up, actually? Yeah, sure. I can pull it up. In the case of Vivek, if God decides to use him as a president, I will have cause for joy and certainly support him and pray for him as often as I have for any other president. But what we are discussing is whether or not we as Christians are allowed to reward a candidate with authority and power in a republic. And then it goes on to explain why, even though he agrees with everything that I say, this is ultimately why no Christian should be permitted to vote for me in his opinion. Do you think if you were white yeah. and Christian, you'd be president right now? White and Christian? Would I be president right now? I don't think so. I don't think that was the rate limiting issue. So I, I don't, I mean, just to, I'll call it like I did. I do think it was an obstacle for me yeah. in Iowa. I think that we opened up conversations about faith at like a level of depth that we have not, and I think the people of Iowa and myself have not otherwise and would not have otherwise gone into. Mm. I think many people elucidated for themselves what the distinction was between pastor and president mm. and how they could, with conviction, understand that their religion was fundamentally different from mine but were voting for president. Mm -hmm. And for what it's worth, it actually was a forcing function for me to get to like, okay, you say you're Hindu, or you say you're Christian or whatever, and you go about your daily business. But this process, I think, really forced me to deeply understand what the core convictions of my faith actually are. Mm. And so it was, it was very productive in that sense, actually. But I think that there are a small minority. For I don't your think belief in God. Yeah, actually. Hmm. Like what, what, even the theology undergirding my faith. I think that that was something that I probably emerged with greater clarity of by the end of this campaign rather than the beginning because it's a very frequent topic that comes up and so it forces you to press yourself to understand. I, sorry, I would yeah. love to hear the, that and how yeah. you change your, but what does that make you- a Rediscover is what I would Fair. say. Yeah. How did that make you feel reading that? 
Like this is a guy whose vote you want. Yeah. He's going at you for your faith. And then the end of it is masterful community, all positive qualities. Yeah. I still will That was never, actually the beginning of it. I will yeah. never, and no one of my faith should ever vote for this man. How does that, I, fuck the right yeah. answer. How does that make you feel? So That's what I, I'm interested in. So I would tell you what my, my first fleeting reaction is what my total reaction would have been a year ago, which is one of fury, rage, frustration, mm. and like maybe a tinge of sadness and disappointment. Because I feel that. Yeah, okay. That's what I, that, that's, that's sort of a microcosm of what my first instinct is. And like I said, like that's at the start of this journey what I would have, what I would have said. Right now, what I feel on the other side of that is then some, okay, pause. This is a good man, actually, who cares so deeply about this country that he has paused to think about how his own theology connects to the future of our republic. I spent an hour with him and he spent that time because he deeply does care about the country and believes that he has a duty to fulfill in it. And for somebody who at least gives a damn, if you're allowed to say it that way, but a pastor, I guess it's a little bit, <laughs> who, who cares that much, mm-hmm. right? I'm kind of grateful at least because I think that he and I probably share a deeper care for this country and an understanding of doing what in our faith, you Hindu, our dharm would be Mm -hmm. than most ordinary people living their lives and then me over the course of most of my life. And so for that, I guess I'm grateful actually. And I think we're going to be friends. I think he's wrong on his understanding of what the constitutional role of the president is. And I think if I may say so, he's wrong on even what I think the Bible will ask of him in to decide in the way he chooses to elect a president. And I intend to stay in touch with him. And if I do run for president in four years, maybe he'll have a different view by the time that we do. And so I guess that's where I am right now is a profound respect for his level of care for the country. Doesn't change my view that I think he's just on both the Bible and the constitution wrong on this, but a commitment to say, this is a guy who I think I kind of respect. Towards the late phase of the campaign, there was another pastor I went to a church with. And something will happen when you go to these churches on Sunday mornings. Sometimes more often than not, to be clear, what, I've, what, what was represented there is a minority view amongst evangelical Christians. That is not the predominant view of most evangelical Christians, but I think it is a distinct and non-tiny minority. So we went to another, we went to a bunch of churches on Sundays and most of them, actually what I would sense happening, I can't say for sure, but you get a sense of these things is they'll almost soften the message a little bit. Um, to sort of be inclusive, actually, to make us feel warm and welcome. Hmm. At the end of a prayer, even, if they're praying over us, you'll say, usually say the prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And then you'll also, often when we're there, we'll say say the prayer and say, and all God's people say, amen. Hmm. And, and, I, and I felt like telling them, and maybe I should have, is just like, you don't have to say it that way. If you end your prayer with saying in Jesus' name, say in Jesus' name, because that's what is most heartfelt to you. But, occasionally we would actually get somebody who also takes notice of who we are and wants to send a message to everybody else who's in that congregation. And so we went to one where it was probably the the most pointed sermon that I have heard, but he went to draw 
and parse every distinction between, for those of you here who think that you need to understand the philosophy of Christ and that philosophy is what speaks to you and that's what you want to take away from today, you're missing the point. Christ, Christ is the way. He's not a path. He is the path. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he gave, he gave, I mean, it was, it was, it was clearly intended that we were there and the person who brought us was a relatively oh, prominent person. He was like checking And I think you. it was, I think he was checking yeah. actually, I think, I don't think it was not a rebuke at us. I think it was a rebuke at the person who brought us mm-hmm. is what it was, who was a relatively prominent person. And I think it was intended as a somewhat of a, somewhat of a slap on the wrist or a rebuke. Not to say that we shouldn't show up there, but we shouldn't show up there as somebody who's not actually open to or being there for the purpose of openness to conversion. Well, I'm sure he's also looking at his flock and going, wow, these people are running for president and they want the vote of my flock. And yep, me exactly. endorsing this yeah, man yeah, exactly. is so, telling so, 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 all these but followers. But I, I respect this man. But then, he, then so he started, and, and once he got warmed up then, then it wasn't even on us. Mm. He was just going, un, he was just going Shots scorched fire. earth. So he said, you know, a few weeks ago, I gave a sermon and we gave, I forget which passage it was, but it told the story. And there's a gentleman who came up. He said, it was my first time in church in a long time. He had tears in his eyes. And I said, oh, well, thank you for coming. And he said, no, pastor, I just want to say thank you. You've opened up something in my heart that I previously did not have. I haven't been to church in a long time. You brought tears to my eyes. And I want to say thank you for that. And he said, well, what, what did you take away from the teaching? And the man said, I'm still processing it, but I can just tell you the feeling that I have is one of gratitude. And the pastor's speaking in the sermon. He says, well, I just looked him in the eye and said, I think you might've just liked the band. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> it's after he's just delivered yeah, who's kind of pastor? a scorched scathing. This pastor, this What's his pa- name? I forgot his name, but, I, I, but he was, I mean, it was a, I think we brought it out in him. You know, sometimes sometimes there's a situation and you you awaken your inner beast. Yeah. I think this, I think, and, and that was just, I mean, he was just going line by line of people from the congregation come to him wow. with these lines and he would just be ripping them to shreds because people miss what the actual ultimate point black is, dude? is that there is one path. Black dude? To God. No, he's white. White guy. Not, not that many black pastors in Iowa. There was one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've been to Iowa. <laughs> I don't know if you've been there. You don't say. No, you tell there's me. Some, I, there's some, but have a flourishing Baptist he was, community. No, he was a black member of the congregation. <laughs> I was representing. I was representing. I had to wear multiple hats. But the uh, there, there was a black they pastor. Were wearing one hood. There was a black. <laughs> I want to say thank you, by the way, to everybody who came out to the shows in D.C. I had a surreal experience uh, this past weekend there. Hmm. Um, I post about this on Instagram, but like the first stand-up I ever experienced was Eddie Murphy's Delirious. I listened to a cassette tape of it with my dad. I've said that, you know, many times probably on this podcast, you guys notice. And uh, we actually did those two uh, shows at the exact venue where Eddie Murphy recorded Delirious. So that was just an incredible moment. I want to thank you guys all for coming out. Thank you so much for that. That was incredible. Um, And uh, the Life Tour in America continues. Uh, We are going to Nashville. Make sure you get those tickets. And then we are going to Austin as well. And uh, we added a second show in Phoenix. So you can get uh, tickets to all those shows at theandreshows.com. And uh, I will see you the first weekend in March in Philly. Cannot wait. 
I love you. I appreciate y'all. I'll see you there. Peace. By the way, guys, I also probably owe the city of Washington, D.C. a thank you because we sold out six shows at the Improv. I've never done that before. Sorry I did not. At the seventh, I didn't have time. But this week, January 26th and 27th, I'm going to be at Wise Guys Comedy Club in Salt Lake City. I know we sold out one show, maybe two, so hurry up and buy those tickets. February 2nd and 3rd, San Jose, California. I'm at the Improv. I've never been there. Very excited to come. Very excited to perform for the Indians in San Jose, you H1 heaven-ass boys. Buy those tickets, hurry up. And then this show, again, was just announced recently, so I'm pretty sure there's a lot of tickets available. February 22nd through 24th, Oklahoma City. Get those tickets and more at akashsingh.com. Now let's get back to the show. There's a black pastor who came to one of our events, actually. He challenged me, not on Christian teaching, but he challenged me on so one of my core principles, we have sort of 10 hard things that are true, we say in the campaign. One is reverse racism is racism. Yes. And so he, he first he showed up, big, he's a fit guy, he's a pastor. He said, first thing is I challenge you to 10 push-ups. So we pounded down, hammered out the 10 push-ups. Yeah. And then the harder question was, when there's been a history of systemic racism in the United States, how do you take that into account when you say reverse racism is racism? And we actually had, he, he actually was totally fine on the Christianity piece of this. He understood the distinction, but he was coming at it more from that angle. We had a good discussion and a good exchange that day. We stayed in touch. About three weeks later, he became one of our precinct captains, actually, oh, wow. which is interesting. And and I think that there were a lot of just beautiful moments through this whole thing. And even with the, with the other two pastors that I mentioned, I consider that progress that we were actually able, I would rather us be able to have those open exchanges yeah. than to have that bottled up and fester with some sort of deep, you know, I would say unhealthy, toxic frustration that sometimes comes up when no, people I, aren't able to speak in the open. I think that's smart. I think that's smart. Now, here's a question that I think um, everybody wants to know: Why does everyone hate Nikki Haley so much? Does everyone hate Nikki? It seems like everyone. Oh loves, my god! The, the, peop, the corporate press loves Nikki Haley. You mean Nikita Haley? <laughs> yeah. Is that her real name, Nikita? Nikita. It's yeah. Nikita. Num oh, Nikita. Oh, yeah. He just Not wanted even. to say that other N-word. <laughs> <laughs> she found a way to sneak it in, this uh, yeah. She didn't go with normal. almost made me say it. She's Namrata. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, she but. She go with a normal. Namrata Randwa Haley. Yes, sir. Namrata. Namrata. And she calls me Vivek. So she fucks it up on purpose. I think that. thousand percent. I think that it's almost. I don't know that she thinks of it as doing it on purpose, but it's almost native and hardwired to who she is that it's exactly how Does she, she know would what do fucking it. cast you are, dude? <laughs> Does she know you're a fucking she, she, the, the thing is, it doesn't it doesn't make it it's for her there's She's one Hindu for the there's race. one she currency that matters, uh, which is which is power. Personal power and do so whatever. So she, she has just insane lust for power. Insane lust for power. And yeah. she is tied to the corporate interests. Is that what the yeah, I would greatest say, criticism is? Does I would say that feel... I would say it's not specific to her, right? I could, it could apply to Dick Cheney. You could apply it to anyone of a certain breed of Republican yeah. or anyone in the neoliberal kind of fashion of Democrat too of the last 25 years is whatever it takes to accumulate an added ounce of money and power is what we're going to do. Use an ideology as a vector to do it, to mm. project American power, mm. which actually is a philosophy that creates American weakness in the name of creating an illusion of power. And we're going to fight foreign wars and we're going to create a domestic surveillance state as a consequence. And you could put a D at the end of it or you could put an R at the end of it. Doesn't it's the matter. same philosophy hiding on the front. And that's what she represents. And so I think what's going on in the Republican Party right now is there's an ideological fissure about what this party is. I mean, what does it mean to be a Republican? It's kind of a meaningless term, really. Mm. It, it's Biden bad is the closest thing that the Republican Party's had to an agenda in the last you know, right. five years. Biden bad, Trump good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's pretty but, much. But Trump, Biden bad, winner good. What, what do Our we, team good. What do we, what do we stand for? Mm. And so 
I think we should stand for the two basic ideas I said at the beginning. The people who elect to run the government should run the government. They owe a moral duty to the citizens of this nation. Mm-hmm. Not another one. Simple. Two simple ideas. But I think there's an alternative view that says it's the job of the U.S. to be the global hegemon. That's the police, global police state keeper. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we have to have a federal police state at home that requires under the table violations of your constitutional rights. And if that means tying your social media accounts to your government issued ID as a mandate to use the internet, which is a policy she's advocated for, that's what it takes. Mm. And so the, the post 9-11, Dick Cheney, George Bush, Patriot Act, Iraq war, fuming Republicans have created a modern avatar. It's called Nikki Haley. Right. And they're trying to reclaim this thing known as the Republican party. And then there's an alternative vision that says, it's what I would call kind of a libertarian nationalist vision. I think I'm the only person to use that term, but that's how I would describe my view of the world to say that the, the way of the future is one of guaranteeing at all costs our constitutionally enshrined freedoms and to take care of the citizens of this country. So Nikki represents traditional conservative. I wouldn't even call it conservative because conservative yeah. is, is let's can, find can the, so many things. Let's find the right word. The machine? I, mean, I, I think represents, the fancy word the for this state? would be neoconservative. But is she deep state? She's a product of the deep state. She's product of deep state. She's Biden is also product of deep yeah, state. Yeah, I would say so. so essentially, puppets of the deep yeah, state. It, okay, yeah. that's a great way to look at it. Because yeah. it feels as if for the average person that Biden is being run, right? He is being run. He's being run. That's yeah. what the average person, but we don't know what really that means. Who runs him? Do you have names of people who run him? It's just, so it comes back to this, man. It's the machine. You could, you could, but what's you could the pick, machine? You like, could pick your Susan Rice's or the Hillary Clinton's or the Barack Obama's, but it doesn't matter. But it's currently, like, do we know who's doing it? It's like the San Antonio Spurs, right? It doesn't matter but who, I know who's who actually playing. Popovich runs that. But, but who's he, the Popovich? Yeah, so so I think that I think imagine imagine if Popovich steps out in the middle of a game and the whole thing just keeps running as its own machine. Becky well. Hammond steps yeah. in. It, it, I know it, the coaching it, staff. It, it, I don't it, even know if she's not it, there anymore. But, what I'm but saying it doesn't is, matter who it is, and the machine still runs. I, I'm aware. So, it so runs. it is. It is. Here's how. Here's how it works. Yes. Here's how it works. Here we go. And this is the, not to go. I, I want to catch you. I don't think no, that you're using. I'm taking it that way. I'm genuinely trying to understand a phrase that I feel like I've used without really knowing. So at a certain point, the bureaucracy becomes its own creation. That's what it is. So if you want to take, for example, the FBI. Can I say one thing about this and how it helps me understand? Sure. So in Hollywood, before I did really anything in entertainment and I was on the outside of it, I thought that there was these like organized meetings uh, amongst people in Hollywood. They're like, here's the agenda. We're going to push trans. We're going to push gay. We're going to push Hindu. I uh, what it. I learned I doubt it is that right. it's people that are trying to keep their job. Yeah. And by trying to keep their job, they're doing the things that they believe will be rewarded or very least they won't yes. be punished. Yes. So, so is this what you mean by- So, so there's a version of that. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of what most people refer to as conspiracy theories, the ones that certainly are true, are really just an amalgam of collective incentives that are hiding in plain yes. sight. That's that really, we think yeah. there's these nefarious individuals that are holding right. the there, 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 is, there is no smoke-filled room. have to be, the, yes. You're missing, if you're, if you're worried, yes. if you're fixated on where's the smoke-filled room, you're missing the point. Right. Right, and so I think that, like, you know, this idea of, you know, the, that you're not supposed to utter, uh, you know, the great replacement theory or whatever, this idea that there's an intentional plot mm-hmm. to supplant the native white stock of the U.S. for a bunch of people crossing the southern border to permanently secure electoral outcomes to the contrary. That's conspiracy theory. But if you take great replacement theory out of it, you take the idea of somebody concocting this in a smoke-filled room out of it, and then you just look at the last 20 years of policy, much of one of the two political parties in the U.S. as recently as about a decade ago said, well, immigration 
legal or not, is going to be a key to securing lasting electoral majorities. And so that's why so we now should tend to favor this. Including exactly. even in the context of that right, was, right, right, right. you can't even remember the context, was convincing a kind of Bernie-esque minority view that was sort of skeptical of competition for domestic workers to sort of, it was a carrot to say, no, 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 I know that this might like in the short run run against some of the things you stand for, yeah. but think about what it could open up yeah. in the long run if we have lasting electoral majorities. So it was earnest as a right. persuasion mechanism that today, if offered uttered, uttered by people on the so-called other side, becomes a conspiracy theory where it's nothing more than just right. a statement of incentives hiding in plain sight. So it goes with the bureaucracy. And I wanna say a word about the bureaucracy. I don't love the word deep state only because it implies that it's limited to the government. What I call it, people don't like it when I say this and say, they say it doesn't resonate with people, but the word that I use is, it, it's the managerial class. Is Jamie Dimon part of the managerial class? I think the people uh, two to three layers below Jamie Dimon absolutely are, and I think in some sense, Jamie Dimon is ish, ish on it. So there's three classes of people. I talk about this in my first book, Woke Inc., a little bit. I mean, you got the creators, right? The actual you could, could be a professor at a university as opposed to the associate dean of God knows what. Could be the entrepreneur proprietor who started the company as opposed to the vice president of human resources. Could be the elected president of the United States versus you know the, the class that sits underneath him. You've got the creators, you've got the constituents, customers, shareholders, voters. Mm. And then you've got the managerial class who are the higher middle management bureaucracy designed to administer that which the creators have created with the intention of serving the constituents, hmm. but to make it scalable. Like that's, that's the basic premise of it, I mean, in a corporate context or not. And I think we live in a moment right now where the balance of power between those three categories has vastly shifted towards the managerial class, the committee class as we could call it, the permanent, the permanent bureaucracy or what we would call in government, the permanent state. I think it's true in every sphere of our lives right now. I think it's true in corporate America. I think it's true in universities. But it so happens, and I do think it's the mother of all bureaucracies, it is absolutely true in the government that the people who we elect yeah. have almost nothing to do with what actually impacts most people's everyday lives compared to the permanent machine that sits under it and is fundamentally agnostic to the political party who's on top as long as they're going to keep the party going. So, and the, so Joe Biden's one version of that, Nikki Haley's another version of that, so the either of which state, is a safe choice. Deep state is essentially just bureaucracy. Yeah. And your mission as president would have been to eliminate- Dismantle. Would have been 75% to take a, a, the, a, jack, a jackhammer, and that's just like why, a chainsaw. And I'm just trying to help people yeah. who might be like, oh, this guy wants to abolish the Department of Education. What the fuck is that? You're just yeah. trying to eliminate the bureaucracy from the Department of Education. Eliminate the bureaucracy from yeah. so many of the FBI. All because these, right. the, bureaucracy is, yeah. the bureaucracy itself- is causing what? Is causing a separation between what the constituents want yes. and what the executive. The dissipation of accountability is Great. what disappears. So, so they know the managerial yeah. folks no longer have accountability That's right. to their constituents. That's right. And that is because there is this. They don't even have constituents. That's the thing. They don't even have constituents. So I'll give it to you in a corporate context so we can depoliticize it, then we can bring it back to politics. Like in corporate America right now, and this is where I've spent my career shortly before running for president, is you have something that happened basically in original OG capitalism. You have the proprietor who's also the owner, who's also the CEO and the operator. Then it all comes down to a question of scale. So the question is, oh, we couldn't scale that without hiring professional management so that the owner can do other things and create new things or, or whatever the owner wants to do. And so he hires the CEO and the CFO, et cetera. And so there was like in business school for, I don't know if any of you have 
background doesn't matter. But if you go to business school, one of the things they'll teach you about is the separation of ownership and control. Mm. So that was like one of the original sins kind of thing, where the owner is no longer the person who exercises control, and that creates what they call a principal-agent problem. So the principal is the owner, the agent is the hired hand, and then like all of modern corporate law and business theory and securities law is designed to basically address that gap. So they have these things called fiduciary duties that the CEO will owe to the owner, but eventually they start behaving badly in a way that just flies around private jets at the owner's expense and claim that it's a business need. And then that's when the private equity industry was actually born in the 1980s, designed to sort of say, okay, well, we're going to retake ownership and clean house. And that was like where the Henry Kravises and the, and the Steve Schwartzmans kind of came from. So that's in the, in the realm of capitalism. Then something else happened in the last 20 years, which is, okay, so they said the shareholders are the ones who have control, but the managerial class, having not taken it over at the level of the corporation, went to the direction of the shareholders themselves. They started to pretend to be the shareholders in the guise of firms like BlackRock and State Street or Vanguard or whatever that aggregate, I don't know if these words mean anything to you. Okay. I mean, aggregate probably most of your money directly or indirectly, 401k accounts, pension funds, et cetera, to say that, okay, we are the shareholders, but we're representing other people's money, and so we're going to have you adopt policies that actually are in our own interest. Not the shareholders. Not, not the actual shareholders or the capital But since owners. we're the shareholders because we're holding their money. We're holding the stock. Exactly. So you're using – so let's say you're BlackRock <laughs> and let's say you're two <laughs> retirees. You give your money over to BlackRock. BlackRock buys shares in, I don't know, Apple. Sure. Actually, that's a good example to use because there was a specific now case Now they're using Apple. that leverage on Apple to and do what that, they want. Which specifically on Apple and BlackRock, this is a real life story in 2022, <laughs> voted for racial equity audits at Apple, which Apple initially said hell no to. Yeah. But they said, no, no, no we're going to vote for it. And then back in the old school version, if the CEO was pushing that kind of philosophy, the shareholders would say, no, you're the agent. You're held I'm the principal and you have a fiduciary duty to me. Yeah. But this, it's always a cat and mouse game. But now it's gone to the shareholders and they're like, no, 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 we are the shareholders. And we're telling you that you we need to adopt this policy. BlackRock. BlackRock, this right. Because yes. today, if you go to the SEC's website and see who are the shareholders of Apple, yes. they're going to be you know, number one or two or three on this the list. This is really interesting. And so, and so it's always this cat and mouse game where the managerial class is always about getting one heads up. So that's, there's a whole private sector version of this, and two of my three books are about this stuff, and we could go on for days about it. But I use that as an analog, because sometimes when you talk about politics, people lose their mind. There's something similar going on, and I think of even greater import in the government, where okay. there's a cat and mouse game between the elected representatives who, say what you will, still have to go back to their constituents every couple of years, yes. every two, four, or six years, depending on Congress, President, or Senate, yes. and, and ask for permission to govern. Whereas what these people say is, no, 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 how do we drain as much of that power as possible so that we're agnostic? Who are these people? The bureaucrats. The bureaucrats. Yeah. So these people. Absolutely. These the people, are the people who work for Anthony Fauci. As... From the electeds as possible mm. to make sure that we're agnostic to who actually gets into power in those seats in the first place. So they're neutering them intentionally. They're neutering them intentionally, yes. It depends on how much detail you want to go into, but I can I even tell you some I want all the detail. This okay. is, no, this is very important because I think a lot of your ideas, when explained in this way, are incredibly digestible. And that's the problem is cable said, TV's 30-second hits and, or, or well, two, two and a half Hold on one second. That's yeah. the game, though. That is the game. You know what and I mean? I've like, this. And so I, I got to like, get good at that. I've, I've, I've or spoken, get better at that. You, I mean, yeah. We talked about uh, you know Bernie, for example. Like I remember when Bernie was going up against Trump, and there was this real there was this real issue where I think like American voters really wanted it to be Bernie versus Trump, and I think that they were so disillusioned with that would have been a good race. And that would have been a useful race for the country. Actually, I, I've like 
you know, and I said it was like, ah, oh, the Democrats stole it from Bernie with the whatever. Mm -hmm. But here's the reality. That's the system yes. that he was operating within and yeah. hasn't tried to change. So if the system can break you or can sway using the, what are they called? The um, superdelegates the or whatever. The superdelegates or whatever. Can, that's the system that you, and if you're not breaking that system, if you're using that system, that is. You become a product of it eventually. You, exactly. Now, bring a so jackhammer, get the hell out. Of Drop course, the mic but if it's 30 out. seconds, yeah. a, a bite on MNBC, this is another problem with the bureaucracy, you could even argue, that is impossible to describe an issue that is this inundated with bullshit mm -hmm. in 30 seconds. Well, so that people don't even know where the disconnect is between them and their representatives. I'm sorry, but I'm going to interrupt. Yeah. I'm reading Woke Inc. I actually do read it. You're reading it right now? I'm sure. reading Thank it right you. now. I'm I listening to that. the audiobook, actually. Okay. To be honest. I, don't I read the audiobook I don't for that one. Let's be I read honest. that yeah, one. Yeah, I know. Actually. That's yeah. why I was more inclined to do it. The, the book, and you're, How far you are, are, are you? chapter eight. Okay. You are one of the most brilliant people I've ever heard speak. Most people Thank are you, not you. I'm an idiot. I'm listening <laughs> I'm to your book. And I'm not, a lot of this, I'm just struggling to keep up as you're even speaking now. But I'm reading Woke Inc. And you take this kind of wokeonomics philosophy and you make that the boogeyman of corporate America. And I'm just an idiot who's listening to you. And I'm like, well, corporations, and you acknowledge it a little bit. You're like, look, corporations weren't, they were corrupt before, but this is the problem. This wokeonomics is what's ruining the country. And it's like, no, nah, the country been fucked. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm talking like an idiot. Okay. I think the issue, if you had made this about how bureaucracy ruins government yeah. even outside of if you make it woke ink and then you make the whole boogeyman uh, you're framing it as wokeness yeah, so when I, the problem I, isn't you just you've heard wokeness. me talk a lot ton about that in the last year for a reason so one is just to bring you context one thing i tell people about woke ink is first of all i i i I'm probably the three books i wrote most proud of that one just because it took more of an effort <laughs> versus the next two you already got your flow going but i agree with about 95 percent of what's in there that's the first thing i will say you i've written two books since then and some of those I mean, have evolved from certain of my micro views. But the other thing I will say is that was just a product of my latest experience. I was a biotech CEO, the story right, I think I tell right towards the start of the book, yeah. And there's a, state, there's a demand that I make a statement on behalf of BLM. I refuse to do it. Six months later, I write an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal with a former law professor, and then multiple advisors from my company are resigning. What the hell is going on? Mm. And actually, the, the corporate America was in a different and weird place in 2020 than it is today. So I don't... I don't mean to be defensive, but I don't believe I said that, oh, this is really the the threat to all American future Maybe existence. I'm dumb. But it, Most but people are dumb. But it, was, I, but it was what landed on my doorstep, right? Yeah. And so that was that was the thing that moved me to write that book. What I will say is, so so when I when I Hold wrote on, I want people to digest yeah. this. This is interesting because I think a lot of people have looked at that book without even reading it as, oh, he wants to run for president. He's seeing this woke wave going. He's going to write a book about how wokeness is destroying everything, yeah. and he's going to use that popularity to run for president. If you actually read the book, what you're describing is you were put in a situation where you could not do your fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders. That's what I felt was the right What answer. you felt because of this, what do you even call this? This like- Social pressure, you could call there was, that. Yeah, there was social a pressure. social pressure and a philosophy that was yeah. restricting your ability to run your company to the best. And, and to be clear, in my case, it was a really mild example of it. So I don't, I don't think I've ever overstated that in the case of my company, it was 
it was a small shade compared to what was going on in the rest of corporate America. But it opened my eyes that even in that landing on my own doorstep and multiple advisors to my companies stepping aside because of my own views that companies should stay out of politics mm. was an eye-opening moment. And I wrote a book about the reflections that came out of that. At the time I titled Woke Inc. and sent it to the publisher, the main criticism that I got, including from people in that world, was that nobody had heard this, not enough people had heard this word woke. So this <laughs> book is gonna fall flat. Right? This is back in 2020 when we named it. That's funny. By the time it came out, a year and a half later, then the actual criticism was this is too controversial and you're weaponizing the word woke. And then if that book were to have come out today, I'm sure the criticism would be that this is banal. Like it's, right. it's yeah, and, yeah. and you know what? That time they might actually be right. <laughs> See, if I wrote that book today and it comes out, if somebody else gives me a book that says the same thing, Woking has come out today, I'm like, come on, yeah, guys. It's true. Like this is this is this is tired. But it wasn't when when it came out. It was it was intended to be read in the moment when it came out, is what I would say. Mm -hmm. And you could read it now for insight into how I think about things. But it was it was a product of my own experiences and a product of where I think we were in a particularly weird place in our country. We've the the fight has moved on, and one of the titles, one of the chapter titles in Woke Inc. was The Rise of the Managerial Class. Yes. That's one chapter. We blew that out into a full third book. I wrote a second book called Nation of Victims, and then the third one is called Capitalist Punishment, which is all about actually, it's more specific to sort of ESG and capital markets, but goes into this deeper issue of the managerial class. Hmm. There's this author called, I think, I don't know if he's on the left or on the right or some combination too, but Michael Lind wrote a book recently, and he was in the school of thought of this guy um, you know, probably a century ago, Burnham, Burnham, James Burnham, who talked about this almost like back in the 30s, hmm. where this has been a phenomenon that's existed for a long time. And what it actually gets to is this is, as, as esoteric as it might sound what we're talking about, this is what the American Revolution was actually fought about. See, see, the American Revolution was fought over the idea. With the part I left out about the deep state is the people who are believing that they need to drain the lifeblood out of the politicians, the, the most sinister part of it is they believe they're doing it not even for their own good, but for the good of humanity and for the so country. They, they believe that the elected representatives- There's altruism in yes, their Yes, in their exactly. It is, a, it is a noble yeah, yeah, yeah. lie that has to be told that we live in a democracy. So even if you call them deep state, they'd be like, what do you mean? I'm just trying to help you. Oh, no, no, I, I think yeah. it's even one step than that. They say, I know what you mean. And you could think that about me. But, but I know I'm doing the right thing. But I know I'm doing the right thing, and so I'm gonna do it anyway. And see, that's what the American Revolution was fought we for. We gotta stop using the word deep state. Then, I, I agree, I agree. I call it the permanent state shadow government, but I call it the managerial even, class even because that, it's not yeah, even about the state. It starts to sound so conspiratorial. I really think- it's not, I, And it's not even about conspiratorial. It's really about this idea that there are these people with nefarious intent. Right. And when we remove ourselves- Exactly. From, from this individual idea, and nefarious action, yeah. it's something, it's a, it's a systematic phenomenon. Because you and force, then, a person who believes they're doing good- Right. Will not believe listen. The, believe it, the means are justified. It's not to talking about me. That. Can't yeah. be talking about me. I'm doing good for my people. I'm doing. I'm doing what's right, and that's what you have to understand. Is these people believe that, that they're, they're doing what's right for humanity. This is good. And for most of human history, now you take now you now as I said, the American Revolution was fought for. Now you take a historical view. For most of human history, make right? that American Revolution point because I'm still. A little so I'm, 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 I'm going to come to. I'm bringing yeah. that in here. Pre-American Revolution, for most of human history, mm -hmm. the view was, okay. The idea that you get to speak your mind openly as long as I get to in return, 
or the idea that we the people cause a government to come into existence that's accountable to us, Mm -hmm. where every one of us has a voice and vote that counts equally in like this weird democratic process where we count up votes and decide who's in charge and you get to vote them out, that's nutty, Mm. right? What the people would demand would cause humanity itself to cease to exist. That's how stupid people are, Mm -hmm. is the kinds of decisions they would make. So the American American Revolution Revolution was fought, uh, 1776 was based on one idea, which is that for better or worse, we the people still decide who governs. So it wasn't just an American Revolution, it was a revolution of thought. It was was fundamentally a revolution of thought, absolutely, which echoed a little bit and and mutated a little bit to get to the French Revolution in 1789. But let's just talk about the American Revolution, which I I think the OG version of this. And, and the intellectual predecessors of it were like John Locke. It started in Europe. But our founding fathers, they weren't the most, I mean, they were brilliant people, but they weren't the originators, but they were the implementers of a vision yeah. of enlightenment thought that caused the United States to come into existence. They had a juvenile enough system that they could implement these ideas. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah. and so that's what the American Revolution was fought for. And so then we have to accept that we're the weird ones, actually, we as an America. Because for most of human history in most countries, yeah. even many across the world today, those that haven't followed America's example, that's how it's done. And so what you're seeing right now isn't this devious, new, sinister it's conspiracy theory. It's a revert theory. to the norm. It's just a revert to the norm. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's just a, It's just the natural historical and tendency. We cons- so, I understand. so we live in this anomaly, Bro, but right I, now this is just reverting to the norm saw, of all of human history. I saw you talking at uh, when, when you were stumping for, for Trump at, uh, in New Hampshire, and you likened it to the American Revolution, yeah. and I eye-rolled. Hmm. Because I didn't understand contextually what you were talking about. That's what about. I'm talking about. I probably didn't explain it. No, as well. it's not about explaining. It's like you said, in these short amounts of time, it's very hard to break down an idea this sophisticated. Yeah. Like, think about it. It took us 30 minutes to go from the initiation of the deep state, just the yeah. idea for us to understand, to cor- how it works in corporate America, to back to politics, yeah. and how. Humans have been operating in this way because it's constant. It's is it in weirdly like there's like a biological impulse for it, probably. Yeah, we're not there's, there's, there's almost societal impulse. Part of it's native hardwired, part of it's just the nature of human nature and how we relate yeah. to each other. And, and and this thing about the old world view that humanity would cease to exist that's literally what much of the managerial class believes today as it relates to climate change. I mean, for example, you could pick your favorite one, COVID. That, if we really left it to self-governance and we were serious about that, you'd pick your favorite fill in the blank. The planet would cease to exist. So it has to be a small group of enlightened members of the managerial class yeah. that do what's right. There's an error. Not just because and not just because they want to enrich themselves in their pocketbook. Yeah. Now here's the decision to draw. You're too stupid. The Nikki Haley's <laughs> of the world are in it for their pocketbook. But remember we said they're not the managerial class, they're the pawns for the managerial class. No, 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 class. no. I've seen this. So the a managerial lot of class time. cuts them in because those are operators. But what they really, the real people who are the real managerial class hardcore are actually doing it out of a sense of benevolence. There's there's a, uh, and I don't, I don't want to completely discredit this entire conversation because I think it's great by comparing <laughs> it to Burning Man, but I do have a point a Burning about Man Burning be, Man. Have you ever gone? I've always wanted to, but okay. we've never made it actually. One of the one of the tenets is this radical self-reliance. There's Just nobody India really watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's no one really watching you, right? There's nobody watching you build. There's no like constructor, like a DOB people going, yeah. oh, is this, is, how many nails did you put into this? Is this going to fit? Is everything yeah. going to work out? Right? There's no uh, traffic cop that's just waiting to make sure you stop at a stop sign or anything like that. Yeah. Everybody is relying on their self. And when you're relying on yourself, 
You want to build something you can walk on. You want to build something you can jump on. You want to make sure you stop because there might be a car that's about to run in front of you. There is a kind of neutering of people when you have daddy or mommy around all Mm -hmm. the time making sure you don't do anything bad. And it speaks to what you just said, this idea of if you leave us to our own devices, and I understand Bernie May is super privileged and people have a lot of money and time, whatever, but it is people being left to their own devices to take care of themselves and they're accountable if anything goes wrong, and when you're accountable, if anything goes wrong, yeah. nobody's gonna come pick you up necessarily, you're gonna make sure, you know what? Maybe I'm not gonna build this with too few screws. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not going to find a way to cheat myself out of this situation because I could hurt myself and I could hurt the people around me. Mm-hmm. So I think it does speak to what you're talking about, which is this like self-reliance yeah. has been almost stripped and it's been stripped by an arrogance Yes. An arrogance of they're too dumb to build the thing correctly. Right. Now, there is another side of that, which is these people are going to build something for someone else. And if we don't regulate the way they build it, they'll build it in the cheapest way and take advantage of those innocent people. That also exists. Like as much as unions are a pain in the ass, they were created for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're the equal and opposite. They came into existence for a reason. The creative implies that. So you're going to have a separate discussion about unions. I actually have very different attitudes towards private sector unions than I do to public sector. No, public sector, if you're negotiating against the government, it's very peculiar. Against the people, yeah. And also the people, but think about it. Like you're negotiating against somebody who's out of office in two or three years, right? So of course, if I'm mayor and I want to get the teachers union on my side and be like, well, listen, I'm out of here to be governor in a few years. Yeah, give them whatever deal they want. If I'm negotiating against my boss who I have to work for or he has to hire me and all of my, the other workers that are part of this company, this is a 10-year relationship, a 20-year relationship, a 30-year relationship. I'm going to make sure we hammer out a deal that's beneficial for the both of us. Mm -hmm. But I feel too often what happens with people in politics is, yeah, just give them whatever they want. Who cares what the fuck happens to the state? I'm out in four years Mm -hmm. because I'm going to do something else. Mm -hmm. And that's why negotiating against Public sector is different than the private sector. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys, we're gonna take a break for a second. Listen, let's face it, okay? We want a a healthy way to eat, protein-packed meals, but spending hours in the kitchen to make healthy food is awful. That's why you gotta check out Flex Pro Meals, okay? They cook high-protein, flavorful food, and deliver it right to your door, ready to eat the next day. Listen. They also offer keto, gluten-free, and dairy-free meals to fit whatever diet you're on. And if you're really hungry, their large meals come with 50% more protein. Pack on the protein. Your muscles need it. They will thank you, not only later, but right there in the moment. And for our flagrant listeners only, by the way, you can get 40% off any of the 35 meals from Flex Pro Meals, plus free shipping if you use the code flagrant at flexpromeals.com slash flagrant. This is way cheaper than Uber Eats, okay? And with this kind of offer discount, it's even more affordable than doing the groceries and cooking yourself. Think about that. This is cheaper than buying food at a grocery store and cooking yourself. This is the absolute no-brainer, okay? Next day delivery in the U.S., by the way. And here's another very, very special offer. Let me just let you know this right now. If you order by 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Thursday, Flex Pro Meals will deliver the next day for free. It's fast, convenient, no extra charge. Think about that. Your food is getting delivered to your house within one day. No extra charge. 
No-brainer, okay? Don't let this deal slip away. Head to flexpromeals.com slash flagrant. Choose from over 35 flavor-packed macro-balanced meals and enter flagrant at checkout for 40% off plus free shipping. Innovate how you eat with Flex Pro Meals. Now let's get back to the show. All right, guys, we're gonna take a break for a second. Listen, today's episode is proudly sponsored by Morgan & Morgan, America's largest injury law firm. They've been fighting for the people for over 35 years. With a remarkable track record, they've recovered over 20 billion with a B, billion dollars for their clients and have helped over 500,000 families. But here's the exciting news. Not only does Morgan & Morgan have their clients' backs, they got your backs too. In collaboration with us over here at Flagrant, they are giving one lucky fan two grand and two tickets to catch your boy, May. Perform the life tour in Los Angeles this coming March. That's right. We're going to be at the Kia Forum. So you get to come to the sold-out show at the Kia Forum, okay? The house that Magic built, the Forum in L.A. They're going to give you two grand and two tickets, okay? You could be the lucky winner. Cold hard cash, two grand and two tickets to watch your boy March 30th at the Kia Forum in Los Angeles. It's an opportunity of a lifetime, and entering to win is easy. Just text FLAGRANT to for the people that's 4843736753 and follow the prompt for your chance to win $2000 and two tickets to my show just text flagrant to for the people that is 4843736753 now let's get back to the show can you break down what you mean by dismantling the bureaucracy yeah because it sounds good yeah yeah but within so politics so, so so it's like the you know if you have like an eight-headed hydro and you cut off one of the heads it grows right back mm-hmm. That's what. That's the model of incremental reform. That's you know Ron DeSantis when he says, "I want to fire Christopher Ray at the FBI." That's the way I view it. Is cosmetic change. What you're that saying is like Christopher Ray is one guy. Christopher Ray is like literally one other dude. Guys that are going to keep. There's thirty-five thousand other guys. Thirty-five thousand yeah, other guys. As usual. So so I mean shut down the FBI. So so the institution known as the Federal Bureau of Investigation, what I call the failed Bureau of Investigation because I think it has failed to even carry out its basic law enforcement functions on issues ranging from child trafficking to the fentanyl epidemic. Actually, the right answer is to shut it down. So there's always the risk when you're taking- What? Well, I'll I'll, tell you what the mechanics look like, but there's always the risk. You're gonna take some risk. One risk is you don't cut enough fat. The other is that you take, you cut so much that you also cut some muscle. You can't say, no, I'm gonna cut all of it and just the precise amount, because if you're bringing a chainsaw, that's not a plan. Yeah. My, where I'm different than most people is I am willing to take the risk of cutting so much that we cut some muscle, but I believe the right approach will then to be regrow in a precise manner that which you overcut rather than to take the risk of not cutting enough, which I think is an illusion. In some ways, the worst of all worlds, which gives the people the sense that something happened without actually anything of me. But isn't that our happening. risk? What's that? That's our risk. That's the one, that's what's that's happening not, right now. What I'm saying is that's not your risk, it's the people's risk. But that's what I mean. We're, I'm, I'm saying us as the people, right? Us as the, us as the people. Uh, you I think he's also, I'm the politician willing to take the risk. I'm like, yo, you're taking a risk yeah, on my I'm behalf. Just, yeah, you have security. Exactly. No, I, oh, okay. I, I guess that's rooted in the theory that he doesn't think they're acting for the people. Yeah, they're not acting. I'm just reviewing myself. I'm what's, volunteering what's to represent so bad, us. What's so bad with the FBI? So I think the FBI has been rotten since its inception. Yeah, And it was, it was the embodiment of the managerial class. So J. Edgar Hoover built himself and his institution to be Effectively insulated from any form of public accountability. He, uh, I don't know if you guys, here's a book I would actually really recommend. My wife has read it. About anything. So there's a book called G Man. I would read it. Okay. It's not some right wing screed, I promise. It's 
it's like a Yale historian, for all I know, is a lefty, for all I know, is talks about the history of the, of can the Diego I, Hoover Can I just building. define one thing for everybody listening or watching it right now? We're going to use the term managerial, managerial class for the rest of the podcast. This is essentially the middleman between what the people yes. want and the politicians that are serving yes. them or the workers of a company and— who uh, this, the upper I, I, would, I, would the call, I would call it, yeah, exactly. That sounds good. That sounds good. The owner, the principals, yep. And the principals or the owners of the company. So there's this system. It's the committee class. The committee class, the managerial class, whatever it is. But these people aren't necessarily working yep. for the company. They might not, in, in the term, in BlackRock they are. Yep. But they're not working for the government necessarily. They it's are, a separate breed of middle of middle management bureaucrats. It's like the equivalent of who sits in between the student and the tenured professor at the university is is the dean of in politics. How does yes. this present itself? Is it politicians? Three letter agencies. The three letter agencies. Got it. That's what we're talking about. FBI, SEC, ATF, CDC, Department of Education, TSA, DEA. What about DEA? What all, about I mean, companies? What about uh, you know? What about um? Boeing or uh, yeah, it gets it gets so so the way I view companies is they view these unaccountable nodes as their vehicles for capture and the node is the politician the, or the, the node the agency, is the, the agency, agency the agency so that's where power gets concentrated it's in an unaccountable place then it's just about capturing it so you are talking about <laughs> actually cutting people at these agencies I'm talking about shutting the whole agency shutting the whole agency down because the idea is similar yeah. to like how people said defund the police. They complained of how the police system has been running all this time. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, yeah, I, th I think know, this is a legitimate poll. So, so, so my view is on, the, argument. on, on the FBI, fine. on the FBI's case, there's 35,000 employees at the FBI. And by the way, the same FBI that 60 years ago was incorrectly collecting tapes of Martin Luther King and threatening him over to commit suicide over, you know, his, his affronts or whatever back. that today back. is going after. He saw, he saw the tattoo. I, I mean, it, like, it, 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 been it, collecting it, information this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the tattoo. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it, it made an impression. Credits, that that today <laughs> is actually now going after, I believe, political opponents who have a, have a political persuasion that the benevolent dictators inside the three-letter agency have decided need to be quashed, just like they decided he needed to be quashed. So it's not a partisan point I'm making, but so that is uh, there's 35,000 employees yeah, 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 at the yeah. FBI. 20,000 of them are the back office bureaucrats that are the classic, typical managerial class. So when I say shut down the FBI, those 20,000 are going home and finding honest work, whatever it is. And by the way, we happen to live in a moment where most businesses have more job openings than there are people looking for work in this country. So maybe we can kill two birds with one stone. But either way, they're going home. The 15,000 cops on the front lines, investigative agents, we will move them to, say, the U.S. Marshals, which, I mean, everything I'm naming, they each have their own problems, but they're not, as an institution, has not suffered the same level of rot that the it's FBI has. It's not systemic. Has. Yeah, and, 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 the, yes, and the U.S. Marshals have been far more effective than the FBI in going after child sex trafficking rings. And, you know, you can even talk about the DA has a lot of its faults, but sooner I would move them to the DEA than, than keep them at the FBI to go after the fentanyl epidemic. There's a financial crimes enforcement network at the U.S. Treasury to go after the future SBFs or the FTXs or the financial fraudsters of the world. The remaining 15,000, move them. So that's what decide, shutting down the FBI looks like. What's how do you that? decide who's who? How do you decide 15,000 good, 20,000 bad? Well, the, the, the 15,000 are investigative agents like that are not sort of- Yeah, if you're job based on like police officers. Oh, okay. They're like My the bad. equivalent of the cops, yeah. actually. So, so we'll, we'll use that frontline talent but deputized by at least a bureaucracy that has not been corrupted in the same way that the current FBI has. And the current FBI makes it pretty nakedly transparent. It's still, for God's sake, the J. Edgar Hoover building. Mm. The mm -hmm. name of the building. Mm. They're celebrating the guy's legacy today. 
So I would say shut it down. And, and I'm different than every other Republican in that regard, but I think that that's actually the correct answer. But this is, this, is, this is why we need like context for these conversations. Saying shut down the FBI is such like a volatile headline that when I yeah. see that and I'm like, what a ridiculous Crazy talk. notion. Like, what is he saying? Is Crazy he just talk. trying to trump up some fucking- So you know, you know who's good at this? My wife is the best one, because she's, she's not a politicized person, she's a brilliant person. She thought this is, she initially thought this was crazy talk. She's actually the one who found G-Man. She's just like, all right, I know my husband. Mm -hmm. He's saying some stuff that people say is sounding crazy, but let me just form my own opinion. And so she's actually the one that clued me into, into G-Man, which is, I don't think anybody who reads that book will come out believing anything other than, yeah. not, they're gonna think what well, I'm gonna say is crazy. They think the stat, they will, you will agree with me that the status quo is what's crazy. It's crazy. And it's, it's crazy that we ever allowed for the creation of an institution like this but that was this insulated from accountability. Your umbrella is not shut down the FBI. Your umbrella is shut down any actor, agency, single person that interrupts what the people want yep. and how that is executed. Exactly, and here's the and, thing, I can't take credit for that. But real quick, just- Because our founding fathers said it in said motion. The same thing. So, so well, what I'm saying is there's three branches of government in the United States. But real quick, so we don't four. move on because I don't want people to, to miss this because I think it's an important point. You thought the FBI was being used to, I guess, remove certain potential nominees or to tarnish their image, to to interfere with election processes. That to, fair? Among other things. But, I mean, but not just, just giving one example yeah. so people can digest. So I the FBI, I, I believe, yeah. I believe the FBI played a role. Mm -hmm. I'm saying the decisive, we don't have all the facts, but based on what we know. Talking about Biden, I believe, Biden laptop. I, well, I, I believe the FBI even played a role in instigating January 6th. Okay, so perfect example. Yeah. We can talk about both of those things, but just so I, people don't miss, just, just yeah. so people don't miss both, and I wanna get back to that, but just so people don't miss, miss the point. The point is, if the FBI itself or is being used to interrupt what the people want, in this situation, it is a nominee, and if they're tarnishing the image of that nominee, now the people don't get the elected official that they actually desire. Yeah, and based on false the, pretenses. Exactly, and then best. that is the problem with the managerial class in the same way it's a problem with BlackRock, with your investments. That is one of many problems with and the I think this class. is another. I think, I think that is a very digestible way of going. So it's not even the FBI is the problem, it's not the letters, it's the fact that this organization has been used as a weapon to remove the freedom of the people to elect mm -hmm. a person that yes. they feel represents them. Yes, exactly. With this, and, and, now, and, and, and if those elected representatives pass bad laws, well, that's your fault. As Thomas Jefferson says- That's your people, accountability. Yeah, be, people, Thomas Jefferson's great quote, I'm gonna botch it, but, but basically he says, the people deserve the government they vote for. Mm. And I think so, that by so the government sucks, true. you voted for it. And, listen, and he's the guy who wrote the Declaration of Independence, And by the, the deep way. state is essentially just the manager of the CIA that. who yeah. can act without the president, and, and, and without and, people that get- And the deep state, and it's, and it's not in a critical sense, I'm just having a descriptive sense. The deep state effectively says, yes, the people are going to get the government they vote for, and it's gonna suck because people are idiots. Are idiots. And yeah. they cannot be trusted. It's a condescension. And, and they're, it's, it's bad for them. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that people don't get the government they, they vote for, because that's gonna be a pretty shitty government. Mm -hmm. And they better get actually one that actually allows them to have what's better for them, even though they don't know Let's it. Let's use managerial class instead yeah. of deep state. Just so yeah, we're yeah, all, yeah. I just I want, because yeah. this, this is like. The managerial class. It's, I think, a really important point that I think would resonate with people because the average person I feel like right now is so disillusioned 
with government. And I think that's why you see like people going, how is Biden president? How is there nobody else that's out there? What the hell is going on? And I think that's why Bernie and I think that's why Trump were these two figures that got so much support because they were both seen as outsiders to the system. Right. So people are disillusioned with the, the system. system. And the system is the fucking managerial class yes. that makes me feel like the people that I am voting for do not represent my actual interests. That's right. Or and limits- so that feeling is grounded in yeah. truth. And it, like it, it's not just yeah. a feeling. And it, it is an accurate options. perception of what is true. Like what yeah. you said right there with the FBI, if the FBI, if, right, if the FBI is limiting my options of people to vote for, mm-hmm. and I'm just voting for the lesser of two evils, which I think both sides end up kind of doing, you're voting for, in your brain, the lesser of two evils. You have limited my option to vote for the person that I truly want to represent me. Mm-hmm. So that is the, so if the FBI or if any other three-letter agency or anything else is restricting my representation, I agree, we should have some way of, of you know taking a jackhammer to that system. I don't know what yeah. it is. But to me, that is a way more digestible. Yes. Yeah, does that make sense? Or did yeah. you guys know initially yeah, when he said my that? My question is, do we need some version of a managerial class? Are you here to abolish it or so, recreate it? Okay, so, this is so good. I think, I think that we go through these cycles in history, right? But I think that we live in one of the moments where the only way you're going to gonna slay the Leviathan, and I use that term, the Leviathan's Thomas Hobbes. I mean, this is what, the stuff I'm describing, by the way, is, like, these are not original Observations. They've, this has been a struggle for most of human history. Yeah. But it's what Thomas Hobbes called the Leviathan is what we're calling the machine or the managerial class. We live in a moment right now where it is impossible, I believe, it is impossible to incrementally pick around the edges of it. Mm-hmm. I think right now the only available effective option mm-hmm. is to take the risk and probably there's going to be some cost involved. Probably there's going to be some negatives that come out of it. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. But on net, Mm. undoubtedly the right thing to do is nonetheless to come in and break the hell out of the glass and acknowledge there's going to be some inconvenience that may come from that at a frictional transitional cost. But absent our willingness to do that, it just isn't otherwise going to happen. Will there be a recreation? And so that, what, that, that, that's, that's, will, that's up to the people who come next. It's going to happen again. That, that's up, and, and then we got to break it again. And, and, and exactly. It, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so that becomes that becomes the iterative cycle. But hopefully, it never gets to the place where the scale of the wreckage needs to be what it is now. So but the question is, is, that's up to every one of us makes our own unique contribution and imprint. This is the imprint that the next leader successful leader of our country, I think, needs to make. Okay. And then and then it's up to the guy who comes after and, and to the people who come after and what we decide and iteratively how we respond to that. Because then inevitably there's gonna be some calamity. It's gonna be how did how did we allow that to happen? Yeah. And then we're gonna actually we're gonna we're, we're gonna accept a trade-off that's in the other direction of that calamity. That yeah. Aren't we smart enough to have prevented this? Well it was really self-governance that got us there. So this becomes I mean this is the human experience, right? Yeah. This is iteratively the struggle that like human history is all about. Power consolidates. But this is right now where we are, in and, my belief. Yeah, it sounds good. It's just hard to run on that because think about the 20,000 people and their families that are let go of just that one agency and then the 30,000 here and the 50,000. So I've, like, I've had people in the rooms with me being like, oh, like my, my uncle or my son or, is working in this agency. And I answer them honestly, which is that I don't think, and it sounds like a crude thing to say, but it's the truth. I don't think that the job of the federal government is or should be to provide employment opportunity. I just don't. I think the job of the federal government is to represent the interests of the people. Now, it turns out 
by God, the, one of the main things limiting our economic growth right now is literally, if you're a small business or even a large business, the number one thing that's stopping you from expanding right now is literally finding people to staff your open positions. Hmm. So that's the country we live in right now. And one in which we have the massive problem that we do, not to mention the cost of this. I mean, it's not cost-free from a taxpayer perspective when we're $34 trillion in the hole as a nation as well in national debt. To say that I have sympathy for many of the individuals involved, because as I said, it's not one of these is like a culprit and evil person. But the right thing to do for the nation is for those for public service to be about public service and not about guarantor of employment opportunity. And that we need to live in a thriving country in which those people find employment opportunity elsewhere in an economy that right now happens to be hungering for more people to fill open roles of employment. And so you're right. You're having a political point. You, that may not win you well, friends amongst those voters. And that's true. I've also had many people who have come up and said, I've worked in these bureaucracies and I understand that I would lose my job. But you're right. I've seen it. And I, and I agree with you, which is also heartening as well. I'm not saying that's everybody, but I think that that's, for people who have been on the inside, what I'm saying is not that foreign to process. And in, in any way, the, the piece about shutting it down is, like, I think if you do it in an orderly way, right? So I want to lay off 75% of the federal bureaucracy over the course of the first term. So we'd stage it over four years. We're not doing all of that on day one. The first four agencies I had said I would shut down would be FBI, ATF, CDC, and U.S. Department of Education. We've got, I, I, if I may say so myself, I would like to think relatively orderly plans for carrying this out. Please explain Department of Education. Because that's another sure. one that I, I, I heard your take and it was really smart, but I think to people it's like, what the fuck are you it's talking just about? So, yeah. It's just so jarring. Yes. And I'm sure for you, because you've probably read so much about this, you've thought so much about this, you've been in the think tank meetings with your people yeah. where you're like, how can we execute this incredibly difficult task? It probably seems like an absolute no-brainer, right? And one of the yeah. tricky things about being a politician, which I'm sure you've learned, which is different than being a CEO, is when it comes to a CEO and I'm subscribing to you, I'm going, I want to work for this guy, I believe in this guy, I don't even need you to convince me. Yeah. I trust that you know what we're going to do, and maybe I'll go, hey, I think this is a good way to do it, and then I could influence your opinion. But when it comes to being a politician, you're going to make this change and you need to convince me that this change is in my best interest. Right. And when I just hear shut down the- because you're the boss, actually. That's what it is. Exactly. People, people lose that sense. And one of the beauties of this Iowa caucus process, I'm, I did more events than all the other candidates combined, yeah. which is I realized actually through the process what this was actually about. If this, if this process of like Iowa going first through this caucus system is about something, it's actually about instilling humility into the candidates. Yeah. That's really what it's Great. about. Is you otherwise forget who the boss is, yeah. right? And so like I got some 27-year-old kid comes to one of my events. He's like, give me your accountabilities. What are you going to do what, by 12 months? Like how will I know you Love accomplished it. what I told you to accomplish? Love it. And it landed with me because that sounds like a question I was asking back when I was a CEO hiring people. But if you're a presidential candidate, you got to remember, this is a job interview. Hell yeah. So I was like, this kid gets it. Like Every I'm, I'm, really, I'm really into that. Also, guys. Don't forget about prize picks. Hurry up and sign up. NFL playoffs is the best time of the year. This is what you got to do. I'm giving you my sing locks. First of all, this is a four-player thing. So it's a four-player pick. So if you hit, you can make you can make some cash off of prize picks. First of all, Isaiah Pacheco will get more than 63 and a half rushing yards. Patrick Mahomes will get more than 248 and a half passing yards. Travis Kelsey, I love you. I love 
what you're doing for Taylor Swift, but I think you're going to get less than 65 receiving yards. And Lamar Jackson, MVP, I think you're going to get more than 212 passing yards. And sign up for prizepicks.com. Use that promo code Schultz. They will match your initial deposit up to $100. So you put in $100, you don't for free. Now let's get back to this episode of Vivek Ramaswamy. But anyway, I was one of the Department of Education, and I want to come back to your point about the political, because it, there's, there's, there's something important I want to say about that. But you asked about Department of Education. So yeah. the Department of Education, let's go to why it was created in the first place. So here's the thing with some of these agencies is they were created with often understandable intentions, mm-hmm. but they should have been a task force rather than an agency. A task force folds up and moves on when it's d- completed its purpose. This was created in the post-desegregation era, immediately after desegregation and civil rights movement, to make sure that southern states were not siphoning money from predominantly black, black school areas, districts yeah. to white school okay. districts. And that was, in some measure, at least happening in certain areas. So that's how the Department of Education was created. I would never create a bureaucracy to solve this problem because you know where that road ends. But at least say what you will. That was the intention of having created it. What it then became, became iteratively was, okay, that's not happening anymore, but the bureaucracy still has to live on. And any institution that continues to exist after it has achieved success Mm. ends up becoming a rot of itself. It's what happened to the UN. It's what happened to, I think, NATO. But we can talk about each of these. It's what happened to the Department of Education. We'll get there. And And so what happens with the Department of Education is they then start to focus on, okay, but how do we ensure equality in other ways? It's not just the funds. How are we gonna ensure equality in other ways? That's where a lot of the affirmative action and the racial quota systems and what became the modern DEI agenda and anti-racism says there are certain things that you have to adopt as a school. We have an $80 billion budget. About 10% of public school budgets come from the Department of Education. It's 10% of most local schools. Their budget comes from a grant from the Department of Education. But the U.S. Department of Education says you don't get that money unless you teach or adopt X, Y, or Z. A lot of those include hiring quotas, race, gender, et cetera, increasingly with respect to gender and sexual identity as well. Actually, there's some schools in the Midwest that wanted to teach archery or hunting. They say, actually, you don't get that money if you, that is part of your curriculum. So they start to play a centralized God over what does or doesn't end up in, in the curriculum. And here you have the managerial class. It's the managerial class at its finest. Dicked, because those people that work there are not elected, right? They're not elected. Are you kidding me? So this is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Totally. The managerial class comes in. They dictate policy. And right. that policy is not being dictated by the people who should be represented. Mm-hmm. At all, they're electing officials that might go against what the Department of Education wants yes. for these schools, and the Department of Education is still leveraging their power and resources on yeah. these schools. And they'll look at those congressmen in the eye and say, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir," and then just continue to do exactly what they were going to do, this is- regardless of what those congresspeople told them to do. And so, what I say is that eighty billion dollars. Instead, just give that back directly to the states and this to the is, people. Listen, this is put yeah, it in yeah. the pockets of parents. Yes, right. right? who then get to decide where they send their kids to school. And I, while we're doing school choice, you might as well go on steroids here. We're in New York City mm-hmm. right now having this conversation. In New York City, the worst schools are the ones that spend the most money. It's actually true across the country too. So bad public school in the city spends about $40,000 per student per year. Mm-hmm. Good ones in this city, charter schools and otherwise, will be closer to $15,000 per student per year. Mm. So imagine if you have that money coming back from the Department of Education to some family in Queens or Brooklyn or Bronx or Manhattan for that matter, it doesn't matter. And they're able to now be empowered to choose where they send their kid to school. 90% of the time, if they're switching their kid from the bad school to the good one, they're sending them to a school that actually spends less money per student. So while we're at it, I'm just saying, let's do this. Let the parent take 
half, let the kid take half the difference with them. So, so if it's $40,000 at a crappy in public 20. school and 15,000 here, let's just say even it's 20,000 for even numbers. The kid gets to take $10,000, put in the investment account. If you start in kindergarten and that's compounding, yeah. that kid graduates with a quarter million dollar graduation college, gift. College, done. See you later. College and then some, yeah. or, or not college and start a business yeah. or become an electrician or go to one year of school. And there's a part of the Department of Education in recent years, is there some good that the Department of Education arguably does, there's some that is in vocational training. Fine, move that to the Department of Labor, where now, it belongs anyway. Quick question, yeah. why So that's how we would organize this. Why do the this. bad schools spend more? How does that happen? Yeah. So it's actually we, the teachers we, union's bureaucracy, a separate managerial class. Hmm. So, Within the managerial class. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's, yeah it's, like, it's like a separate, I mean, it's one horizontal managerial and class. This is a verifiable factor. This is like the Yeah, the I, mean, I mean, the teachers unions, the, 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 with the verifiable fact is the thing, schools with unionized teachers actually have demonstrably poorer results at a demonstrably higher cost. Hmm. But that's not a function of the union. That's a function of like what schools those. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. So when you're saying demonstrable, I'm just going to give you the sure, facts sure, that sure, are going sure, up. Sure. But, but, I believe, but, but I believe there's a causal role here where swimming in that level of money breeds excess. So put, leave the teachers unions or et cetera out of it. Yeah. But swimming in that amount of money without accountability, that money's not tied to the performance they deliver or anything else. It's just what's coming on from on high via the state, in this case, the state of New York. The schools that are actually running on less money are the ones actually delivering better better results on a per student basis. Most private schools spend less money per student yes. than the public schools. You take these take these elite ultra elite New York schools out of because they 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 skew the averages based on how expensive they are, but that's a distortion because people have a lot of expendable income here and they're bilking billionaires who don't care about a sixty thousand dollars versus forty thousand yeah. dollars tuition. But across the country, broadly also speaking, also there's scarcity with those schools. So yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's a little bit of an anomaly here in New York City, but yeah. up across the board. 90% of the time, if you're switching your kid from a bad school to a better one, mm. you're switching to a school that spends less money per student on now, a per student basis. Now, I'm sure there's many reasons fascinating. for that. But the one tricky thing is I think that Americans are abundantly aware of these organizations but not really clear what they do. So when we hear abolish, we go, well, don't we need that shit? Yeah. So with the Department of Education, let's say the Department of Ed Education is abolished. How do we have some sort of agreed upon curriculum that will educate the students to a sufficient level where they, where they can succeed yeah. at you know, government regulated tests and then get into the university of their choice. So I think national standardized testing, and it doesn't have to be run by the government across the board is, is standardized testing, but like continue. the actual curriculum. Yeah. And, and that's twofold. How do we make sure that we're teaching our kids? At, because you can look at this the in basic two ways. minimums they need to know. And, and also like, this this is gonna sound fucked up, but like there is a version of uh, of American history that you could also say is bastardized. But I think there's an important version of American history, like teaching the the value of the Constitution, teaching Americans like why they're part of this great experiment. Yeah, and instilling civic pride. education. If, if that's really important, you know, one of the most controversial parts of my campaign platform was, and I stand by it, is I think every high school senior who graduates from high school should have to pass the same civics test. Mm -hmm that every immigrant has to pass yeah, yeah. in order to become a voting citizen it's, it, My country. mom just became an it's, 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 She it's, passed the test. It's, she, not, it's not that it's, hard a test. It, it shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met a 10-year-old girl in Iowa who heard about the controversy. She brought one of the tests to yeah. me. It was 100 questions. She got 100 out of 100, 60% yeah, yeah, to pass. Of course, she's yeah. 10 years old. But, but, but the question is that you wouldn't be shocked that most Americans would fail because they because that's what happens today if you ask most Americans take it. How many branches of government are there? What branch of government does the U.S. president lead? You know, probably, probably some of the harder questions are, you know, who are three of the people who are the three people who wrote the Federalist Papers or, or whatever. We could sort of go down the list, but 
You lost me on that last one. <laughs> That's but you, 60% is a good tell that. You didn't see Hamilton? Come 60, on. 60% is <laughs> a passing score, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, and what they do actually for the immigrant population is there's 100 questions, they pick 10. Six out of 10 gets you through. Yeah. This girl, 10 years old, she took 100. And she just tests, she got 100 it. out of 100. Yeah. But I don't think that that's too much to demand of ourselves as citizens. Some of this falls on the families. I think it. Does, I think all education begins with the family, mm-hmm. and I do think that there's no escaping the reality that some of that accountability still has to rest at the level of the individual family. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what happened is you were given the example earlier of that sort of general loss of individual accountability. I think there's a lot to that story. Where one of the things I said in the campaign as well. Made some people upset, but the nuclear family is still the greatest form of governance known to mankind. Even go back to the days of Aristotle. You have the the man, the individual man who's part of a family, the household. The household was ultimately the form of government, really. And then you have a broader form of government that takes the existence of the household into account. Mm. It's been the part of the building block of every great country known to humanity in our history. And so I do think that the abandonment of the project of the family hmm. and like giving up on that and believing we have to fill in substitutes for it actually gets it backwards versus saying we have a system that puts that accountability and empowerment. This is the same thing. Empowerment and accountability go together at the level of the family. We're basic, sorry, but, but it's the same thing we're speaking to. It's like, hey, you guys aren't smart enough to raise your kids. Yep. Hey, you guys are too stupid to have a strong nuclear family. We'll do it for we'll you. We'll do it for you. We'll that's what this is about. The, you guys are that's too what this, stupid. And that's the what the modern Department of Education is, is all so about. Irritating. Now, but, now, are you yeah. going to find, that what makes it tough is, because just to see the other side, you're always going to find, right, mm-hmm. a kid who grew up in some, like, truly broken family and, like, the father is some, I don't know, people do bad things. I can make up whatever story right. you want. It's probably going to be a real story that's out there somewhere, abusing kid, this or that. Yeah. And to say that, well, what about that kid? And so you, I think we got to really understand what makes the argument for the managerial class compelling is that Nobody, there, yeah. th- there will always be that failure of individual accountability. But I would still rather, but this is what the American Revolution was again fought for is to say that for, and remember what I told you this even, but- 20 minutes ago, we we're talking about this. For better or for worse, yeah, that's, we the people still and that's create a government that's that accountable a to us. Tough argument to sell, man, because now you're talking about a kid that grew up in a broken family. That kid's got yeah. hope. And I'm, so I'm raising the hard case on purpose because we got to at least understand exactly what that best argument is. And so my view is after that, find the minimally invasive solution that solves for actually the worst cases that need to be dealt with. Rather than a permanent yeah. bureaucracy that's a superset that assumes that to be the Do norm. you have that solution in mind? So, so for that for that particular case, a lot of those are going to be legal violations under existing law anyway. Like if I use the case of somebody's abuse, like that's that's a guy breaking the law yeah. as it exists. Should we have a foster care system that itself is debureaucratized? Yes. Actually, most adoption and foster care systems are themselves suffering from the existence of a managerial class that has le- caused those to be less effective than they are today too. And so we can keep playing this forward. But as a person who's the advocate and the staunchest advocate for my debureaucratization view there is, I also want to be the first to acknowledge that there will always be, because it's not honest otherwise, there will, there will always be some possibility of a trade-off. And you want to minimize that to the fullest extent possible. But, li- but life and structuring a society like it is about making choices. And for me, the American way is that we choose self-governance and individual responsibility as our way. And the less 
self-governance we have, the more lifeblood we suck out of that individual responsibility. The point I wanna make earlier though, to your point about the political piece of this is hard to sell. In the context of the Republican primary, I would just love for you guys, and I don't know how you would characterize your viewership base, but how would you characterize your viewership base? Like what kind of people? Awesome. Who knows? Large yeah. people. Large. Okay. Yeah. Large people. Large shoes. Large shoes. Really big. Size fifteen. Size fourteen is sick, dude. So, so yeah. all right. <laughs> understanding that. So, I think what I would say is, I, maybe there's people from a lot of different buckets. Let's assume that. So I've been I've been educated some pretty elite institutions. I didn't grow up in elite America, but I've lived it. Yeah. I think most people. I appreciated your. Like humility in this conversation. I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but I know about the things I care about. But you're asking me very curious questions about my views here. But what I will say is most people who will wear a MAGA hat on a given day, not all, but but most at, at you know, one of my events. MAGA? Right, Trump rally. was crazy. Yeah. Well, well, I turned it into Kamal or something <laughs> like that. <but laughs> MAGA. It's MAGA. Either way, it works fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato, you know? That's why. Potato, MAGA? potato. They've been switching yeah. it. No. Maga. Yeah, in the news, they I say mean, MAGA. I'll, they I'll, say I'll, MAGA now? Yeah. Why? What happened? That sounds so matter. Yankee, bro. Yeah, yeah, America first. MAGA, MAGA. 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 I'm going to stick to my version, but, you know, you know, it's free country. So most, actually, it's going to be a more free country when we're, when we're through is, you know, but, but, but I'm picking, I'm picking <laughs> yeah. like an image of somebody who like the news media will write off or whatever. And, you know, people who I've gone to school with or whatever that will view as like the rubes across the country. The concepts I'm describing have a deep scholarly history that many people would have studied in the Harvard Political Science Department without recognizing it. I think most people, when I'm talking about shut down the deep state. What you may mistake for, I'm being presumptive here, maybe you don't, but what you may mistake for being just a, oh, I'm saying something here that sounds nuanced, but then I'm saying something there that sounds like red meat and people are cheering in the audience. It is my firm conviction, having not just spoken to audiences, but like we've been doing this 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. for a year. And even heading in the period running into presence for launching my books and stuff for a couple of years, you could say. I think most people who are applauding at that know why they're applauding hmm. at that. I think they deeply understand the essence of what's going on in the country. I'd say about two thirds, okay? That's, but that's what I would say. And so politically, actually, the thing that was challenging for me in this was not the handful of people who would say, you know, my son or my father-in-law is going to lose his job because of this. In fact, many of them still would say, but I still agree with you that it's the right thing. The real challenge is actually many people in the America First base who love the things I'm saying, I think fundamentally just didn't trust me completely. I think logic because I'm new. There's a lot of things that are different about me, but, you know, not, I hadn't heard of me or new unseen versus saying that even though the things I'm saying and my commitments were I to be president would be going further than Trump in this direction of dismantling these bureaucracies and more aligned with what people want to see. I think the trust factor was, I think, the gap that stopped it from happening this time around. And I think that that's fair if most, most people didn't, hadn't heard of me 
you know, nine months ago. I think the wording was too radical and that created a distrust. I think there was a lot of things that created a distrust. I think that I, also I your, talk really fast. I fucking head. I, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's a full package. Can I tell you my distrust as a yeah. brown guy? It felt like this guy doesn't like, I, now I see you, you don't really love either political party. Why is he running right and seemingly catering to this far right group with terms like deep state, with tenets of 10, like reverse racism is still racism. And I'm not- a, Okay, I'm, I found this on the web for turn like deep state. <laughs> They're listening. They're listening. <laughs> this bitch got me serious. That was- uh, I was Nikki Haley. Haley. Listening. Yeah, listening. Black Rock. Black Rock in my flow. But I was just like, it seems like he's catering to, I don't like anybody catering to either yeah. extreme, catering to either extreme, I hate it. But I felt like he's catering to a group of people that just aren't gonna vote for him. And as a brown dude, even hearing that story, man, that broke my fucking heart, made me wanna cry. Like, you're sitting here talking to this pastor who's like, I'd never vote for somebody who doesn't have my faith. And I'm yeah. looking at you like, yeah, I don't, why is he doing that? I, I, I tell you, man, this is, it was, this is a good-hearted person who cares about, I, I cares about, cares about the country. It comes from a place of care about the country, even though we'll, even though he you know we'll disagree about that. I'm not going to cater to anybody. And actually, speaking of which, to bring it to our first topic of vice president, that would be when when I was talking about alignment with Trump. If he asked me to be vice president, we'd have to have a sit down conversation about: Are you actually? Are we serious about, about shutting down these agencies? Because if so, I'm, I don't think anybody's going to do that and get that done better than me. If part of the goal is it's a little bit, you know, not the direction we want to go, but we want to appoint some, you know, figureheads on top of different agencies to go try to reform it. That's cool, but that's, that's how there's, there's other ways to, for me to drive change in this country, and I'll right. wish you well and be as supportive as I can, but that's not how I'm going to drive change. So when I was talking about even alignment early on, like, you know, if we got serious and this was actually a role to get in and, for better or worse, left or right, gut the bureaucracy for the long run, and that's something that we're serious about getting done, I intend to do that as president. And I think that it does take a president to really do it. But would I do even that as a vice word, president? Real yes, quick, I would. Even the word bureaucracy, yeah. I think people know but can't define. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to be one of these managerial class idiots who's <laughs> no, like, no, these no. people it's are fair. too stupid. No, I, I don't think, I just think they hear the word like, yeah, that's an annoying thing. I think it's like when there's a lot of stuff in the middle mucking up and making it harder yeah. to get shit done. Or they're like, oh yeah, there's some bureaucratic bullshit, which is why my renovation is going so long or whatever, but they don't exactly yeah. know. And I think it's really the main ethos of what you've been saying is there is an interruption between what the people want yes. and the people that should be executing. An interruption and accountability, absolutely. An interruption is there. Yep. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes that's an outside force, that's an FBI, that's a CIA. Sometimes it's who would be interrupting on the, who would be interrupting, like for example, using Nikki. Like people are using these politicians mm -hmm. and then forcing- and there are the military industrial complex, I think it's real. Okay, so Raytheon, mm -hmm. so- and, and even the people at the Pentagon. Frankly, I mean, it's one it's one revolving door class. Oh, you're it, trying to get killed. I hope not. Yo, I, hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Everybody. I hope Yo. not. But you saw the video where, of the guy telling him, be careful, right? Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> we don't want, yeah. I don't want to go there right now. Uh, yeah, go there. It's very viral. That's the only reason Tell I it. It's very yeah. viral. So, I mean, it's on, it's on the internet. Let's let's keep talking ideas for a second. <laughs> yeah, 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 while we have you. For a second. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, and he doesn't so, mean today. We're, 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 uh, we, we, we've taken the steps to protect ourselves. Good, and, and good. 
God is the ultimate protection, and you know, we're, and you got a lot of them, no. and, and we got to do we got to do our own job. <laughs> That's funny. Just hit it one time. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, could have won Iowa if you did that. You a mentioned times. that uh, you think people didn't trust you that you would actually do it. Do you not, think? Not even that I would. It was. It wasn't even that. It was just at a more guttural level of like I don't know this guy. Like uh, he, I, I, I'm just processing a lot of like what I've heard is mm-hmm. just like, I didn't know who he was. And like, now he's telling me all these things that I like to hear, but he talks kind of fast and he went to these elite institutions and he's a little different in a lot of ways, young and Hindu. And you got to, it's, it's not one of those things, but the whole package, it's just like, I don't. Yeah, who the fuck are you? Yeah, and in fact, I think that, to come full circle, I mean, this is really in the in maybe the the you know darker corners of the internet kind of thing. But I think there are people who then look and say, "Wait, is, is he, he really the plan?" You know, right? Like, and, and and it's sad that you have a Republican Party today that's so disconnected with its own base because the Republican Party has been taken over by a managerial class of its own. The Ronna McDaniel's, if you all don't know who that person is. All the better off for you, but she's the chairwoman of the RNC right now, ah. who despises me and you know would rather me not have run for president because I'm calling out a lot of the corruption in the Republican Party. Yeah. She had a three x pay raise over the same period where the Republican Party lost five elections, and much of the funds were being spent on her hair salons or something like this. Really? But how's the hair? I, I mean, I'm, I'll plead the fifth okay. on that. But <laughs> but the but yeah, it's not my, not my place to say. Yeah. But but the point is, it's not the right expenditure. Right. Right. And so. And so anyway, the, the, whole, the whole game is, okay, this guy is coming in and it sounds so much like what I've been wanting, yet we live in such a sad state of the Republican Party that if you actually get somebody who's saying what the many in the, the primary base of the Republican yeah. electorate and beyond want, it's like, wait a minute. That sounds so right that I'm suspicious of it. But they did get that person, and he didn't do it. They, they, Trump ran on Jordan in the swamp. I'm actually got in office. And what I said is he, he rolled over thing. that log, and we saw what crawled out, and I give him credit for exposing it. But and I, my whole thing is I'm bringing the pesticide. But I but I would argue that there was a familiarity with Trump decades. There was so. a longstanding familiarity. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. like, and even like That's with Obama, I'm looking yeah. at like because obviously, you know, I'm sure people and people have likened you to Obama, right? Yeah. In certain ways, Some right? Yeah, charismatic, good speaker, like very different views, young. Yeah. Big feet. Eh. So basically, <laughs> you have this situation where people go, people go, I, I trust Obama, and I'll tell you why. I think they saw him within government first, and he was barely in there. He gave that great speech at that, like, what is it? it? The was DNC. The, it was the DNC. 2004, he did. Yep. Yeah, he did his amazing speech, but the safety and security was he existed within politics, which even if people are disillusioned by it, they still trust. They're like, oh, he must have been vetted by yeah, something. Yeah, something. You go yeah. eat something in a grocery Community store. Community organizer to senator, doesn't matter. Exactly. You know? yeah. You're like, okay, well, the water's yeah. probably good here because the FDA is yeah. going to make sure it's good. And you came completely outside with no awareness. Or and very I'm not complaining awareness. at all. I'm just no, saying no, no, like no. diagnosing, speaking, I think, where we were. Speaking yeah. to it. And then immediately, if there's somebody who's compelling that we don't know about, very wealthy, like you have money, but we don't know you got money. Mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Like right. where the fuck you get your money from? Yeah, you know what right, I mean? Like right. there's all these questions. Yeah. Like this guy's smart. He's sharp. He's got yeah. good teeth. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars. And I don't know about him. And the funny thing is so in the early stage of the race, like I did something no politician, certainly nobody who's made 
serious wealth beforehand, I released 20 years of tax returns because like people are like, this is stupid. Don't do that. And they're all out there. They're published. People can just look at it. 20 years yeah, worth since I was 18 like years old. That was a shot. Yeah. And, and I've said, you know, I would, and I believe anybody who, and if I was elected president, I would divest all my holdings and everything else. So in some ways, I'm, we've aspired certainly to live by the principles that I want to see mm. in somebody who we put in, in the office. It's a sad enough state of our current state yeah. of affairs yeah. that that itself, I think, was contributed to everything else being different to a trust deficit. And, I, and I'm fine with that. And I mean, maybe I'll do this again in a few years. I don't know. Well, that's that's I you know, a question. Just, I Sorry. Do. I do. I do know. But you'll, you'll yeah, definitely uh, yeah. you think but, so? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, see, we'll see where the country is, yeah, is the honest. Good true. answer. Yeah. Trust deficit also potentially added to, and this is why I'm asking you, why run either party? Why not run independent? If you want to win. You can't win as independent. RFK right now is polling crazy. He's not going to go gonna go anywhere near winning. He might have an influence on the election. And if you, it depends on what your goal is, right? If your goal is to change the conversation in the country, boom. There's, that, that's actually probably a better way to do it. That, do that. That's, there's, there's, there's a... I will say, if you want to change the conversation in the country, you are better off doing it as an independent. I got to follow up. Than as a Republican or Democrat. You're very quick to say you can't win running as an independent. Do yeah. you think you can beat Trump in a primary? Because nobody did. touched that. I did. I didn't succeed in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so there yes. you go. I went from, you know, most people started 0.0%, stayed 0.0%. I ended at 8% yeah. in the race. And we peaked at Round about 12. Up, but yeah. You know, what yeah. was it? 7.8. You're rounding. 7.8. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> but, New but had we gone through New Hampshire, man, had we gone through New Hampshire, I think we'd have hit 8. What cast are you in against? Yeah. <laughs> lower than him. I'm no, shouting. No, yeah. I'm lower than him. I'm hating. If no, we hit, I wanted, if I wanted New Hampshire you to win, man. I think if you, at the very least, if you ran independent, you could have made some serious fucking waves. You could have made some serious fucking waves. I... Think you could have been? We wouldn't have won the election, though. Yeah, you. Can't I believe that I was going to be. The, I, I ran with the conviction that I was going to be the next president. All right, guys, let's take a break for a second because y'all stink. Let's just be honest. You smell bad. Smell your armpits right now. Take a moment. Take a whiff. Take a breath of that fresh fumunda. It's bad, and only a doctor could change it. Lucky for you, we got one. Dr. Squatch has got your back, balls and pits, it's got your whole body. Dr. Squatch is an awesome soap. It's 98% natural. Look at this. Beautiful. I mean, it's got no harmful ingredients. Dr. Squatch soap will have you looking, but most importantly, smelling and feeling your best in and out of the shower. I personally love Birchwood Breeze right here. It's delicious. It's amazing. You smell incredible, okay? Your girl's going to want to suck it up nonstop with all due respect. With all due respect, I mean that seriously. That's what your girl is going to want to do. I can't speak on behalf of anybody else, but your girl, she's going to want to suck it up. She's going to want to suck it right up. She's going she gonna to smell that birchwood breeze, and she's going to want to suck it up. Goddamn. Anyway, right now, Dr. Squatch is offering our listeners huge savings. All new customers will get three free bars of soap plus free shipping with any purchase of three bars. Just go to drsquatch.com slash flagrant to receive this buy three, get three offer. That is D-R-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H dot com slash flagrant. You buy three soaps, you get three free. It's time to get all the daily routine essentials you'll need to start feeling good and smelling like a man today. Now let's get back to the show. I've never sat down with someone who ran for president. How, how, does, how do you do that? 
How do I you had to literally that run for pre- like I who do you call? Out. Like when we decided, that's what I did. So I, I called. Who some is people. we? Like give me the and I, you know, my wife and I. So we, you and your wife have a conversation because I mean, she's couple gonna conversations get, over a month. Yeah, we. This is a mudslinging contest too. Yeah. Like you're gonna get run through the mud. Yep. Like literally, your wife, your family, they're gonna go after everybody. Mm-hmm. So you gotta ask. I'm sure, like for their blessing, bare minimum. Yes. That was that was the the one. My kids are too young to be able to process it. But the one person that has a veto is my my wife. And she was like, "I'm I'm down." She was initially like, "Are we sure we can't do this later in life?" Because the kids are young, or yeah, because- the kids are young. We and also we just kind of hit a place. We had just kind of hit a place where you know. I mean, I, I was building a company for a long time. We had final. I mean, that's that's its own slog. She had been through residency. She was a surgical resident. Yep. Actually, she did her training in New York, yeah, all that stuff. Everything. Finished her fellowship, and she's got a great academic post. We had just had our second son. We were at the place where it's like, okay, like this is feels like a destination we've been working to for a long time. And we are gonna just and now we're just gonna up. and now we're just gonna mix it up. Yeah, exactly. And are we gonna like I think her first reaction was like, you know, she's She's biased. She's married to me, but you know, I believe you would be a good leader for this country. Okay, so and you I get understand. the approval. Can we do this later? And then we talked through it, and I think we both convinced ourselves into why it had to be now with the sense of urgency. When do you tell her that you're going to spend your own money? Because she no- doesn't care about that. She doesn't care about that. She does not care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's she's not she's not the. Uh, <laughs> she's not. <laughs> she really. How much fucking money you got? She, she really doesn't. We're she really doesn't. Three hundred fifty mil. Yeah. yeah. Nine hundred fifty mil. You know. What I mean? Oh, are you a bill? Do you got the B? On a given it? day, depends on the day. Really? Depends <laughs> on the market's doing on a given That's day. That's not a fire oh, answer. Dude. Dude. Wikipedia was hating it's on. Like a, it's like depends a it's like a borderline kind of situation. Wikipedia was like nine point or nine eight seven or something. Oh, sorry, pull a knockoff. I'd rather. I mean, I think. It's probably an advantage to be flying like right under the radar. We've we, we given away enough Okay, money. so we you got, got the B. Yeah. You've built the businesses. There's nothing left to it's accomplish like a over B. there. You got it's the not lowercase. Like one of, not like one of the 50 yeah, billion people. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. So, so you've done everything you need yeah. to do in the business sector, okay? Is there... I'm sure you, I'm sure you have ambition to make sure the country reaches its full potential, or yeah. restore it to its full potential, just as an American, you have yeah. pride, I'm sure you have that. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. Is there also a part of you that just as a man is like, I want a passion, I want something to do? Like, what mm-hmm. makes somebody who has all that money? Yeah, I have to, I mean, it's a, I Put have yourself to, through that, it's, it's hard to, hard. people try my to. My wife could probably give you a better answer about me than I'd give you about me, but, you know, I think that, I think that it's, there's, there's a book by Viktor Frankl, I don't know if you've read, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. I read yeah. it in high school. You're familiar with it? Yeah. I went to St. Xavier in Cincinnati and it was, it was sort of a sort of spiritual book. And anyway, I think, I think all of us have an innate hunger for purpose, mm. right? To, be, to feel like what we're doing here in the short time that we're given is meaningful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that each of us also has our own unique God-given gifts. Yeah. And I think the true source of satisfaction is matching, at least for me, and I don't, I, my sense is it's probably true for most people, is matching what your unique God-given gifts are to your sense of purpose. purpose. in the world, yeah. And if you can match those two things. It's an exciting thing. That's much more, that, 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 is, that is sort of true self-actualization. Yeah. That, is, that is true liberation more than whether it's a bigger case B or a lowercase yeah. B. And so- 
for me, that match felt like it was in leading this country. And, I, and, and weird as it sounded, and most people say it's terrible, I was, I was pretty convinced we were gonna succeed at this. I actually. mean, I hope. Like when we're setting out, but, but even at like 0.0, nobody, I, I, I thought we're, it's not like we're gonna go and see where this goes. I thought that this is gonna end with, I think I have the right vision. I, I have deep conviction in it. I believe that most people in this country, if they don't see it today, can be made to see that. And ended up getting 8%, rounded up. <laughs> you yeah. know, and so and so there were there were some structural reasons for that this time around. But I think that nonetheless, that was what motivated me. So you ask you're asking a question about the politics or the analysis of it, but what, what no, compelled me, yeah. that's what I felt is is the unique was it exciting? Confluence, yes. Did you love every single day? I love most days, <laughs> not every single day. Right. But I love most days. What were so, unexpected yeah, challenges like, of the campaign that you didn't see? Yeah, before? what was the shit? I mean, I'm going to sound so, it's going to sound so stupid when I say it because it's like, well, should be, have been the, obvious. They're the first time for everything. No, so it, 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 is, it is like, I mean, the influence of mega money on oh, did you politics. Get, break it down when you first felt it. When, when, when I understood the dynamic of dealing with mega donors, actually, it's sort of disgusting, actually. So I spent thirty million. It's a lot of it's a lot of our you spent thirty money. million 30, of your dollars, close to thirty. Yeah, Routing yeah, right, right about. Oh, right he could 30. do that. He's like, thirty yeah. million. Yeah. Okay, that. I just want to write that down. Might have been like twenty nine point five or something, but you know, something like that. Um, thirty million and, and, and <laughs> to lose. Yes. <laughs> the fuck, man. I know, man. You're really, really Could've twisting the knife 15, here. Bro. <laughs> twisting the knife. <laughs> what the hell with that? Twisting the knife. No, just but, uh, <laughs> you take the delta between your net worth and our net worth. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, it's, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, at a certain point, like, Can what's, you write that what's off? the point? There's got to be something. No, no like, write off. No write off. So you spend that thirty. Yeah, it's what, just what, out the door, not coming and back, never coming back nope. at all. Yeah, and but, your wife. How she did does you not train her about, to be like this? She just doesn't, she just, she's just not into, she's not that into like stuff, actually. She's also a doctor on She's her not own into stuff. She's a surgeon. She's, yeah, but, but I think she's good. The thing is, the thing is, she's, I mean, the thing is, actually, many of the procedures she does, we have I such a broken healthcare system. My wife was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> 30, if I spent 30 million dollars? Yeah. I ordered double though. I was broken. God damn. Was you got a tomahawk steak. Okay, go. So anyway, I think that, yeah, I mean, we don't, you know, that's our sense of, that for me was a sense of purpose yep. is what I would say. It's like, the, I believe God's given me unique gifts yep. in this category to use them. I believe that there's a purpose that needs to be fulfilled and I am, I'm here to fulfill. And that's what gave me my sense of deep satisfaction about this. And, and she was super supportive of it, largely because she's doing the same thing. Like, I think actually the last time we had a conversation like that was in reverse, believe it or not, was when, so our first son, Karthik, was born in, I talked about this in, actually, you may not have gotten to that part yet. Did she You're go not, back no, well, okay. to school after their kid? She doesn't go back to school. She's in residency. So she's finishing her residency yeah, here at Cornell. It's in the last chapter, I forgot, in, in um, Cornell, Columbia here. She's an ear, nose, throat surgeon, but she specializes in throat surgery. Okay. So she's an airway surgeon. And he's born in February of 2020 which is an interesting time to be born in New York City. He was born on February 23rd, 2020. And that was like literally the week after that is when that first wave Spike, hit New York. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and people went COVID policy crazy in this country in the next couple of years. But that first wave in New York City, I don't know if you guys were here. That, oh, yeah, we were, that was not a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and the hospitals were super overfilled. So she had just had an emergency C-section at oh, Columbia wow. on February 23rd, 2020. And yet she's an airway surgeon. Okay, Fuck. 
And so they're short staffed at the hospital. They've got patients piling up. Every operating room is converted into an ICU. And there's literally a lot of older people included, like going to die unless there's people who are able to help them with the skill set she's been given. And she's very good at what she does. And so in some sense of the union of our God-given skills and our sense of purpose, for her, that was March of 2020. So a little over three weeks in, after emergency C-section, she could take, you know, six months off if she wants to for, for maternity leave or at least six weeks. She goes back. So she's, she's in the operating room less than four weeks after giving emergency C-section. And back then, nobody, good stuff. Nobody, knew, good stuff. Yeah. nobody knew what this was back then. Have you told people this? Not a lot of people. This is good stuff. Come on. Not a lot of people. We're too late in to hear this. This is good stuff. Move over, Michelle Obama. <laughs> yeah. This is. <laughs> so I'm a biotech CEO. I'm CEO of Roy Vent here. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah, we're we're a doctor. Don't forget about me, guys. So I brought that up because I had been traveling the whole prior year. And so she had to have... When, when I talked about the sit-down conversation I had with her, she had the sit-down conversation with me. It's like, listen, I have to go do this. That's fucking amazing. Well, we have a son. He's three weeks old. We don't know what's going to happen if I'm doing open airway surgery and we don't know what this virus is. I need you. It wasn't like, it wasn't really a question. It was sort of like, I need you. You got to do it. I need you to step up and mm, do this. Wow. So, so I, took, I took our little man. We'd already, we already knew we were going to settle back in Ohio. We had moved to Ohio the like late the year before she was just finishing up her residency here and happened to give birth here because that's where the doctor was. So I took him and I spent, I was single father for what was going to be a few weeks. But then, you know, she ended up predictably, you know, whatever she, she got sick. Nobody knew what it was. It wasn't a big deal. Her father also got sick. He was also a surgeon and was taking care of patients. He ended up in the ICU. She's there with a couple weeks and she continues to do airway surgery, open airway surgery for people who are sick. Ended up being about two months mm. where I'm playing solo single father of our, what was our one month to three month old son during those period of time. And I think it still hurts Apoorva today that she missed mm. those those two months. I mean, She's it's not gonna an get amazing it back. example for your son. Like it's incredible. When he grows up, he'll, he'll grow to appreciate it. She's, she was shipping him breast milk, you know, during oh, no. that period. Yeah, oh, yeah. Goodness. Wow. Absolutely. But we, but for us, that was our conviction that, she has a skill set. God put her here to do it. She did her job and did her duty. And so for me, when we, whatever, two and a half or three years later, I had a similar, it, was, it felt like the same conversation in Go reverse. Go the nation is sick. And, and she was, didn't, take, didn't take a beat other than to say, are you sure we can't do this later? Mm-hmm. We talked through that. And she says, great. Wow. Let's go. Question, how does that whole thing influence the way you view COVID policies, how we handled everything? How did that experience shape your views? There's there's some interesting things that happened. I mean, at that time, I remember one of the most remarkable things was they were sending out mass emails to the people who were in the medical profession, including, you know, in her workplace and everything else, saying, don't wear masks. They're scaring people and they're, uh, and whatever, only for a few months later to then reverse and yeah. say yeah. there's a policy. So it was just people saying things with a level of certainty mm. that they just didn't have. So what yeah. in that early stage of that pandemic do we know? We didn't know much. We knew nothing. And so we had to make decisions in the face of uncertainty. Yeah. We took the facts we had. It looked, even in that early phase, like even if Apoorva did get this, it looked like she was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was the right thing for her to do. We didn't know how it would affect infants. We separated so Smart. that we were able to keep the infant away. But my takeaway was, at least 
if we as a government were able to, I'm not saying, I don't mean to sound self-important in this way, but more as a lesson learned in the way that maybe we handled it as a family. If you have government leaders that say, and are just honest about the fact, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, mm. here's the best decision we're making in the face of information that's available, and here's why. I think we would have been a lot better off mm. rather than the fake hubris yes. of saying yeah. that yes. we pretend to know more than we do. Here's how we keep you safe. Yes, where does, even, where even does though that we don't know. come from? Yeah. Is it like- I think it comes from a belief that that's what the people need to see. Yeah. It's yeah. the same yeah. energy. It's the it's weakness. Same, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of some of the same mentalities. People need to see fortitude, strength. And is the justification to avoid the chaos that would ensue if people felt that anxiety of yeah. uncertainty? People yeah, are I think it's a fear of yeah. chaos. I think it's so a fear of chaos. They justify it by going, we, we don't want people to feel anxious. We don't want them to feel like they could. We want them to believe we know what's going on because then they can be calm while we and figure then they, and, out. Yeah, and, and then they will they will be more likely to listen to what we need them to do when we tell and them And there's to do a better it. And I think it's actually the it. opposite. I think, yeah. I think they misread human some of human nature. Because oh, I, I think actually, you. if you just tell somebody, yeah. just tell the truth, right? Yeah. Here's here's the truth. There's a there's here's a, what we know. Here's what we yeah. don't know. But here's a, just the truth, and we're not hiding it from you. Yeah, but you, there's a delicate way that you can deliver that truth that isn't a lie, but also doesn't go. Yo, we don't know what the fuck's going on. Mm -hmm. There is a version of it which is we still need time to accurately decide what is the best way to handle. And this. even if it's not relevant on yeah. the piece of how you address it, this is what actually drove the lies about the origination in China, worries about racism in the United States or whatever, because there was, you know, anti-Asian attack in the US. I think just the right answer is we don't know for sure, but it sure looks like it yeah. came from a lab in China where we were funding research that we intended mm -hmm. to use to prevent a pandemic, but things might have gone a little wrong and we created one. Yeah. And we so, as in America, you think America created it? I think I think we, or we paid funded for it. the we research. Funded yeah, 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 I think there's, there's very little doubt about that. But they fucked up the stitching, and the, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone just shut the doors. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's still unanswered yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah, I think there's still unanswered questions about I mean, what guys actually went down down there. But right. that's that's. Uh, I, I think we should have the. I think we deserve the answers to that question, and should hold the bad actors accountable, or else we can expect even worse in the future. Again, without accountability, you're doomed to repeat the same mistakes at a larger scale in the mm -hmm. future. That's what I believe. But anyway, I think that that would be one of my lessons: is honesty, free speech matters most, not in ordinary times, but in supposedly emergency times. If you had been allowed to debate the lockdowns, I don't think we would have locked down mm. the schools. I don't think we would have locked down the cities for nearly as long as we did. If you'd been allowed to debate the merits of the vaccine, I don't think we would have had vaccine mandates in this country. Yeah, I think that autonomy is paramount in the end. I think you should be able to take something even if the FDA hasn't approved it. I think you shouldn't have to take something just because the FDA has approved it. But I, I think there's a, lot, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of learnings. But I think that the irony, the ultimate tragedy in this managerial conceit, this hubris, is that it'd be one thing if you actually could have pulled it off, that you actually did earn the trust, even if it was based on a lie. Hmm. But the irony is, we're, you're, you're in the worst of all worlds, where you actually have bred greater mistrust, mistrust yeah. through hmm. the act of lying itself. So yeah. it loses, not just on philosophical terms, which is what moves me, but even on the terms of its own effectiveness, actually, mm. right? And so I think that that's something that, for me, is one of the great lessons. The reason people don't trust the government is actually because the government doesn't trust the people. And like in any relationship, trust is a two-way relationship, the, right? In yeah. a marriage, in a friendship, 
in a work relation, a boss, in a CEO employee relationship, trust is a two-way relationship. And I think the government is in a relationship with its people. We as citizens are in a relationship with one another. Yep. And I think that that trust is a two-way relationship that has been today squandered in both directions. And I think that if we think about you know, ways to heal this country, two, two steps would I think go a long way towards uniting and healing this country. So if somebody got in the government, say a US president, it's what I intended to do if we got in there, you know, apparently that's not meant to be this time. But what I hoped to do is to just rip the cord off, you know, whatever, take the Band-Aid off on a lot of the areas where, at least in the last 20 years, you can just start with the last five years, 20 years might be too far back, last five years, where there's been understandable public suspicion of what, what you've been told and just to say, hey, here's what we know. I mean, pick your favorite topic. I mean, the fringy ones, UAPs, whatever yeah. it is. Here, here's what we know. And here's Full what we don't. Disclosure. And, and, and here's where we lied to you. Like, be acknowledged. Here's where we lied. And I say we because even if it wasn't me, if you're the president, you own what you came before it. you. It's, yeah. You represent that. Here's where we lied to you. Here's why we got, here's why we lied to you. I think the why is important too. Here's why we lied to you. And here's how we're going to ensure that never happens again. And if somebody in the government, ideally the president steps up and does that, that's step one. Step two is somebody in the media. It doesn't have to be everybody, somebody. Could be CNN, could be MSNBC, could be Fox, could be, pick your favorite one. But somebody steps up and says, okay, here's where we were wrong. You pick your favorite one, Hunter Biden laptop, COVID origin, Nashville transgender shooter manifesto, you know, January 6th, you, you, not, you could go, go straight down the list, whatever it is. Here's where we lied to you. Here's why we lied to you. Hmm. Here's where we were wrong. And here's the changes we're making to ensure that doesn't happen again. And to acknowledge that whatever the next thing is, you're probably not going to trust me because you don't have a reason to. But give us a little bit of time, and I think we're going to earn your trust back. And look their audience in the eye and tell them that. Those two things happen, one from the White House Rose Garden and one from any mainstream trust, once trusted anchor looking their audience in the eye and saying it. Those two things happen. We are well on our way to healing and reuniting this country, actually. Hmm. It's, it's, not, it's not that hard, actually. There's, it's not that real, hard. Real quick, there's a— uh... Yeah, I feel like there's a, a an extreme dip in American pride. Oh yeah, and, and and after talking to you, it makes sense because how can you be proud of a government that does not represent you and a country run by people doesn't trust you who, mm -hmm. who, that do not trust you, right? So the relationship. And how can you trust somebody who doesn't trust you? Of course not. So yeah, because I one of the questions I had for you, I was like, how do we reinstill the American pride? And there's a buddy of mine named Ben Yates, a really smart guy. He's like, you know, I'm proud of me in America. And I was like, why? And he's like, this is the best version of myself. That's what America has given to me. Mm. The opportunity to be the greatest version of myself. I don't think there's Beautiful. another country in the world where I could be the best version of myself. Now, this is a country that put his grandparents or was it great grandparents, grandparents. Yeah. in the internment camps, right? Mm. So- but he still is like the ideals of this country. Yes. Sometimes we get off. Yep. Sometimes we wiggle. And I think this is kind of what you've been speaking to. Yep. But the ideals are there. And I think that that's something that we can all have pride in. Yes. When we get those right, we are the best version of ourselves. Yes, we are. No matter who the fuck we are. I saw my mom get her citizenship and it was like really touching. I got like emotional at it. I saw all these people. This is an emotional so, experience. I wish people could go see the excitement. Mm-hmm. 
that is there when these people are realizing this dream because totally. it is a fucking dream. And yeah, maybe they're looking at America in the best possible way, maybe looking at those ideals, maybe looking at that what that constitution represents. But if this managerial class, class who is not necessarily doing it in with nefarious intent, and that's a really it's important benevolent thing. It's benevolent, it's benevolent conceit. It, yeah. There it is. So if they are either removed or moved out of the way, or there is a way to, to execute it where they have utility but not disruption, mm -hmm. I, I think that I, I, could. I, I, so I'm, I'm pretty sparse really? and, and libertarian in my tendency to believe that the way to do this is just through publicly accountable elected officials, yeah. actually. And we'll get a better class of public elected official once that actually becomes clear to everybody yeah, how I important that, that is. Yeah. Versus if that's unimportant, then you get the get the C team that you're getting right now. Yeah. But that's exactly right. This is a step to uniting this country. It's also part of even when you think about the elections meaning something. And this is the more philosophical underpinning of why I favor. So I favor this because I think it quells any of the concern about election integrity. But there's a deeper element to this too of our elections meaning something. That civic ritual that your mother and you as a family sounds like went through. I favor – that's why I favor single-day voting on election day. Make it a national holiday and, and do it with the way the Iowa caucus is done with paper ballots and government-issued ID. There's the election integrity concerns. I favor making English the sole, sole language that appears on a ballot. Many people find that controversial. But we are a nation founded on ideals, but who are we if we can't even communicate those ideals with one another, mm -hmm. right? I think that one of the things that's dividing this country to breaking point is just we're innate as human beings. We distrust one another when people are speaking a language you don't understand. As a, they, they, they could speak that language, but if you don't share that language in common, at least on the day that you're expressing the civic ritual. And by the way, all of this goes to the concerns about election integrity anyway. And one of the things I've said in leading the Republican Party is if we get single day voting on election day as a national holiday, with paper ballots, government ID, and English as the sole language on a ballot. I will pledge, we, and we have to be, we're just done complaining about election integrity or results or whatever. And we move the country forward, mm -hmm. but we do it with a civic ritual that gives us a sense of appreciation of that set of ideals mm. that the country was founded on. Are we perfect? No, we're not. Have we ever been perfect? Nope. No, we're not. And because we're gonna we're, keep fucking up. Yes, because we are but we're men, gonna try. not gods. Yes. Right? We're a nation- God. Spoken <laughs> here in the plural. So, so <laughs> we are we are men, not God, and we are still a nation founded on ideals. Yeah. And so those two things, by definition, it's like it's like a math equation. It's like an axiomatic. You have the axioms and the corollary. The, the, those two things are the axioms that we are we are fallen human beings, not God, mm -hmm. and that we are still founded on a set of ideals that we aspire to, yeah. then the necessary logical consequence of that is that we will always fall short of our ideals. But let me aspire. But aspire if to. If you take yes. away my ability to aspire then, by having this material class then that's going to dictate exactly what I can do, exactly. now you're, give, you're taking away my Let my me pride. strive and fail yeah. sooner than you have me optically succeed. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. It is optic success. It's the illusion. Because that's how they get the pat on the yes. back. Yes. Look yes. what these people did. I told you I was right. Look how good I am at managing them. I appreciate you having what seems like, to me, reflecting a 
a deep understanding of my worldview in a short amount of time. Yeah. I, because actually this, I think, I think, I think what you just said- I think it's important to be explained yeah. in this way. Yeah. And that's why like deep state is just, it's such a buzzword that people hear and they have all these ideas wrapped around it that might not actually be what you're saying, even if they mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think when people think of deep state, they're like Nancy Pelosi's in a room and she's saying, hey, yeah. FBI, go do this and let's bomb that and shit. And that's the deep state. intentions. Exactly. Whereas managerial class- As opposed class, to just yeah. the slow motion reality is far more boring. It's to the reality yeah, of yeah. the reality of uh, what we perceive as evil intent is always far more boring. Mm -hmm. Always. If I look at you as just a CEO who would be elected president and remove the bureaucracy, that's a very different thing than a guy who's going to tackle the deep state. That sounds so abstract. If I look at you as like, oh, this is a CEO who built, he's a billionaire, lowercase b, uppercase b, don't matter, <laughs> off of this thing, and he's going to help the United States government run more efficiently and in our best interests. That's fucking. But yeah. What was up with the mega donors you were saying? I was just, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. gonna Don't say go that. Yeah, we, 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 I mean, so, so there, it's just sort of this dynamic where there's like a, there's like a courtship and an expectation that you supplicate yourself that I was just very bad at because I couldn't put my heart into it at any point in time. And so, you know, if there's a next time, and I didn't really do much of it this time, and it's why. an example of it? Oh yeah, I mean, I think like the uh, name would be great. The handwritten notes, the the ability, I mean, the idea that people believe that you, you got to fly to where they are to see them to some donor retreat. They summoned every candidate. Actually, by the end of it, they they didn't summon me, but they summoned the DeSantis and Haley and 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 Scott campaigns to figure out how there was going to be a discussion about who was actually going to take on Trump. It's it's sort of and, who, and I, who are they? Who are oh, these, just like, like the Koch brothers? A lot of wealthy people in this in in the Republican, frankly, in both parties. Peter Thiel. No, he's he was he didn't play this time. He didn't play this time. But, but I, he's always involved, right? I like, think this time he wasn't. Yeah, I like that verb, but he, he didn't play this time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a game. Yeah. It's a game. Yeah. Um, so who's one of the people that was playing fascinated with Peter Thiel? You you could you could you could you know look at look at actually one of the most interesting twists right now. One of the most interesting twists is you know who some of the biggest donors, because it shows you how bipartisan this is. You know, some the biggest donors to Nikki Haley include the very people who have been actually funding to keep Donald Trump off the ballot in from a from a left wing perspective. So like the like Reed Hoffman is one such person. And and the thing he's a founder of LinkedIn, which by the way censored me early in this campaign for making factual statements about climate change. And then they said it violated their policies on hate speech, misinformation, and violence when we challenged them on what was inaccurate about it. After we, I, I you know, shared it with, uh, we just shared our email exchanges with the New York Post, which printed it. Microsoft then comes out and says, oh, no, no, your account was locked in error, uh, which is funny. It makes that like a technical glitch. That's just a funny side story. But but this is the, the type of stuff that happens behind the oh, scenes. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. This guy's funding Nikki Haley in an attempt to do what exactly? Just to have her be Donald Trump in the primary. I think the but idea would be that's, she's much more beatable in a general right. election. So no, not, I don't think that's the idea at all, actually. I think the idea is she's actually going to be more effective than Biden at advancing certain of the agendas, actually. Mm. But does he support— And the, the, the Democratic brand is kind of tarnished right now. And if they get—Biden, he's started to lose his use as the leader of the— of, 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 their pawn on the chessboard, but then they got this thing called a Kamala Harris problem. Yes. Yeah. And so, so what's one better way to do that is, you know, the Democratic Party's brand is a little tarnished. We get to have the illusion of nonpartisanship. Put in the fucking- Put in somebody else we can control and just all Nikki needs is to be cut in on the rake a little bit, right? Uh, I mean, she left, she left the government, she was in debt and she quickly, you know, eight million bucks off of how do these paid speeches, military contracting firms. Tell, tell me know. how these politicians yeah. become millionaires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mostly getting paid. Uh, you know, we sound, make it sound 
really nefarious under the table, but it's basically under the table. So right? there are under the table deals made. It's not but, they're, just... but they're actually hiding, many of them are just hiding in plain sight. So, so it's my belief that if you have done favors for Boeing to the tune of 900 million or nine figure sums of money, mm. hundreds of millions of dollars in the state of South Carolina showering on Boeing, that it would be inappropriate and undesirable for you to take as one of your first paid seats after you leave government to sit on Boeing's board where they have a nice warm seat waiting for you. Hmm. That's exactly what Nikki does. Mm -hmm. Or you, I think it would be inappropriate if you're representing the US at the United Nations and you abruptly step off as your family is wallowing in debt for you to be able to start a military contracting firm that exploits your connections at the UN to advocate for policies that allow a military contracting firm to make more money, which is indeed those that are hawkish or pro-war policies. That's exactly what she does. Or give paid speeches to foreign actors without disclosing what those speeches are. But it's not just Nikki Haley. I mean, I think if you're the vice president of the United States, I don't think your son should be sitting on the board of a Ukrainian company collecting $5 million when he doesn't have the first qualification to do it. Yeah. Especially if you then become the president and fork over $200 billion of money to Ukraine. If you're Elizabeth Warren, nobody has any idea. Everybody knows what her salary is, yeah. her and her husband's included. And you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year, they got expenses, and suddenly her net worth is disclosed to be $68 million. Like, that math that doesn't add up. That math does not add up, and it's yeah. just across the board in both parties. Yep. This is how it works. Yep. And so my own view is if you're in Congress, you shouldn't be allowed to trade individual stocks. Mm -hmm. Neither should any of the bureaucrats. Or, or your husband. Yeah, or, yeah, or any, in your, in your yeah. orbit. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you should be allowed to lobby the government for at least at least 10 years. I mean, maybe if you really aspire to a life career as a lobbyist, at least wait till 10 years. And until explain, after you've why, the explain how that happens. So basically they leave government and then they get paid by these any, lobbyists. Any, any, yes, or, by, yeah. by industry to represent yeah. them to right. go after their own, to go to get open the doors to their own prior colleagues. Right. I don't think that if you've done special favors for a company, like showering hundreds of millions of dollars on them, you should be able to join the board of that company. Yeah. Which again, would create maybe the illusion that, you knew that they were going to do that for you at the time you were showering $100 million. What about what about them. the speeches? Or if you're the regulator, if you're at the FDA, I don't think you should be able to join the board of a pharmaceutical after, company afterwards. I mean, this, this is I mean, yeah, that happens makes, all the time. That makes sense. But I feel like one version, because I was looking into this a little bit, I kind of want to do a piece on this, but the, the way that a lot of them make their money after they're in government is through these speeches. So do you think somebody really wanted to pay seven figures to, to hear Nikki Haley speak? Forget Nikki so. Haley, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. This is one of the most Seven boring figures, yeah. individuals. You're talking about half a million dollars. No, no, in some cases, some cases we're talking talk? seven figure. At least in Nikki, one of these cases, seven figures. But we know the entire country doesn't like hearing her talk. Oh yeah, yeah, right. So, so it's, maybe it's not for the talk, right? That's the whole point. That's right. right. That's 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 the whole point. And is that their way of scratching the backs? Of course it is. It's one of the tools. It's not, it's not the only tool. And it's but not it's, explicitly it's one of the tools. said, but it's basically like, okay, you do this for us, and then when you're done running, or when you're out of office, we have seven speeches lined up. Yeah. Give your same stupid and, and, speech, and, and nobody's again, gonna fucking And again, listen. it's like a game theoretic thing where I don't think in most cases they that's even verbalized. Need to say it. Yeah, just yeah. you understand that's how the game is played. Yeah. And and it just and the beat goes on. Okay, that's what it. about what about uh Kushner getting that two billion dollar deal from MBS? What deal is that in terms of investing in a fund? And he has, he, has, he has a track record as an investor. I don't know what went down. But apparently there. the Saudi fund. Manu I mean, people have criticized Mnuchin, keep people have criti I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. My view is just Across the board. Yeah. Across the board. Yeah. Certainly for people in Congress or the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Let's just start with that because these are the people who should be accountable to the people I mean, at large it seems anyway. like an absolute no-brainer. Now, here's the concern. If, and this is, 
an ethical dilemma, of course, because what I'm going to suggest you could argue is unethical. But if you cannot get rich in politics, will the smart people yeah. not want to enter politics? So here's what I would say is, I think the term limits are good. I think you should get in there and get out. Which is what it used to be. That's the idea. I want, I want eight years. So, so if I can't work for the people for more than eight years as their president, I don't want the people reporting into me to generally work for there for more than eight years either. Get in, get out. Three terms is the limit for Congress. Two terms is the limit for the Senate. And I think that I would sooner have a discussion about increasing the salary. I don't think somebody should be forced to be poor this over, is or, or, have, or even Singaporean, have to limit where they send their kids to school. Yeah. But I would rather than just that, just tell us what it is in the open rather than having to do the underhand deal with it. Well, they didn't pay me enough anyway. I'm just going to do it this way. And so I think that that's a reasonable thing to do. Now, term limits, most of these people wouldn't vote for term limits. Here's my solution on that is it's, it's, it's shameful, but it would work. It would work in a heartbeat. If I was president, we would have gotten this done is – Grandfather in the people. Let me get the final deal. Like we got it all lined up. You don't want to vote for it. We'll grandfather you in. Meaning you can you. You're not subject to term limits. Exactly. But the guy who comes after you next. And they would is, do it in a heartbeat. They would do it in a heartbeat. Fuck And it's a wildly popular policy, right? And so, and the same thing with the insider trading bans. Most congressmen hate it when I talk about banning trading of individual but not stocks. Not for you, Pelosi. But say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that, yeah, 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 You have to say yeah, that, otherwise yeah. they would never pass it. So we so we got the deal lined up, and we'll just say so out, of, out of virtue interest. signal. Yeah, but but, but you can. can't but you can't make it nakedly self-interested. So you would say out yeah. of out of uh, out of respect for the continuation of prior norms, this will begin <laughs> on a date certain in the year twenty thirty or whatever, right? But that's like that's kind of how it would have to go, actually. Right. And so and and they would do it because it's okay. a wildly popular policy. Let's assume all these things happen and it works. Who plots the long-term course of America if people are getting? elected or reelected every two, six, four years. Yeah. The long-term court, like who is making deals that are going to impact our great-grandchildren's futures? Because that's so, an so important I think, thing. I think that with this setup and the term limits, et cetera, what you, for that? So, so, so this, I mean, the, that's, so, this, so this is the question, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it's the best argument for, it's the best argument for the thing that I'm against. That's but what I'm, I'm still against it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I think that you will then select for the kind of leader that is viewing it as a temporary form of public service. And the job of that leader is to think on the timescales of history rather than the timescales of tomorrow if they're doing their job right. And it puts accountability back on the people to elect such a person, back to what Thomas Jefferson had said, the people elect the government that they deserve. Okay, so break this down to me really quick. You will, you think that because the country is now truly in the hands of the government that are selected and not in this managerial class, that all of a sudden their viewpoints for the country will then transform. It should. The people should elect such people, and if not, we got what we deserved. Just and, like in your personal financial life. Or and then we're okay life. with that. We have, you to make your that. we have to live with that. Do and you that's what I said. For better or worse, that was the, that's what was 1776 was fought for. Now, as much as I might agree with this, do you think that Americans like the cozy security of a managerial class maintaining the price of oil under four bucks a gallon? And right now, maybe we, we, we are... Well, I, I Do think, they want I, that I think, risk I, in their life? So here's the, here's the thing we live in right now is you're offering the best statement of that other side's view... Right now, we live in the worst of all worlds. Yeah. Where actually people yeah. are seeing how that has ruined their Man, own lives. class sucks. Yeah, and, and, we and they've actually, and, and they've left, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the hard case presents itself when those come into conflict, yeah, which is tricky. the philosophical case, but that's not where we are right now. Yeah. So I think that's what now makes it for the right moment to tear the thing down anyway. Mm. But I do think that in a, in a psychological sense, we have become a nation of sheep. 
Okay, and, and I think a nation of sheep is what breeds this managerial class of wolves, actually. And so I think you get what you deserve anyway. It's a two-way, just as trust is a two-way relationship, we don't have trust one direction or the other. Once you do adopt this nation of, of sheep, you know, waking up, two-legged higher mammals, celebrating our diversity, doing what our iPhones tell us to do on a given day, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> making our way across an American terrain. Yeah, you, you kind of get the government that, feeds you and creates more of that in return. And it's up to us to declare independence. And so when I say things like the other night, as I said, we live in a 1776 moment. That's what I mean. It's our time to declare independence, not just from the managerial class, but even from within that inner prison within each of us too, that Mm -hmm. has confined us by the tools of the managerial class, including but not limited to the algorithmification of of our modern life. That's a whole separate discussion for another day. But I think that we live in a moment where it's time for a a modern declaration of independence of the forces that have shackled us on the exterior and the interior. And those, it's not a coincidence that those two things happen at the same time. They actually go together. And so I think each of us, I mean, we talked about this at a governmental level, but I think each of us has an inner sheep and an inner lion. And I think right now the inner sheep has, is winning the day, mostly, at least across our general population level. And it's partly because we've been lulled into that by having the people, comfort, the comfort yeah. of the fact that we're not accountable for our decisions, but somebody else is. And so might as well give in to my sheep-like tendencies rather than my lion-like or, tendencies. Or, yeah, I mean, it's good to phrase it like that because we all obviously want to be a lion, but I think at the end of the day, people really truly do want security and they're willing to sacrifice some freedom for security. Mm-hmm. Now, th- I'm not saying that that's- And right now we're getting neither. But, but is, 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 I, I think that's right the now. most important thing. It's Right like, now, practically you, speaking- You have sacrificed your security for this idea of freedom, yeah. but you've actually had your freedom further restricted because now you're not represented in any way at all. Right. So now you have nothing. So nothing. We, we yeah. still live in fucking America, no, greatest no, no, country no, in the world. No. But I hear, but I hear but what the, you're the saying. But the trajectory we're on is a trajectory to nothing. Yeah, right. Is, is what I what I do believe. So so basically, it's like it was a fool's bet. Someone told you, hey, give me a little bit of that freedom, or give me a little bit of your representation. I'm gonna give you all the security, hmm. and then you didn't get it. Yep. So you were lied to. Yes. Which is what makes it an easy moment to drive the kind of change that I am right now, where the philosophical and the practical go hand in glove together. It's not change, a trade-off anymore. If it's this actually change go together. doesn't happen, what do you think happens to America? If we continue on yeah. the trajectory we're on, what do you say happens in 20, I think 30, we go, 50 years? I think we go the direction that most nations through human history have, which is to be one other, another ordinary nation in human history where the people couldn't be trusted. And we, we sort of elegant decay into mediocrity, much like what we saw in Western Europe over the course of the last couple centuries since the U.S. was formed, probably in a tighter time frame. We need to build some more fountains. I think our own culture of excellence has gone to China, and I think they're in autocratic form, we'll have a new, a newly dominant- Aren't they the epitome of the managerial class? Well, they they are, but they're the best version of it. Because they're a benevolent managerial class? No, just because that's, it's sort of the nature of the founding of the modern state. Whereas in some ways, we're a nation, we, we, yeah. we're like betraying our true essence, mm. right? And so, 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 so we're not even like good at doing this managerial class thing, right? But So, so could, I yeah. think that's actually what's going on is like, 
we're this bastardized, mutated form of like not even the thing that we are at our core. So you could look at this from Mars and say that, oh, is, 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 is the American model better as the Chinese model? And it's like, we're not up. Didn't we I have a view? But, but someone, some Martian might say that that one is, you know, that, that these are two different models. Yeah. But at least one model is being itself. Hmm. So, right, the communist Chinese government was the one that Mao Zedong set into motion. Right. But we're not the one that George Washington set into motion. Mm. Right. And so, but, and so, so it's in yeah. some ways the worst of all worlds. Is it's a it's a betrayal of what the thing actually was. Yeah, because that place. Martian can't actually look at what we're supposed to be. Yeah. And make that judgment. But, but couldn't you say that like the Chinese government or a lot of these governments, even like Russia, you could look at Turkey, aren't they a reflection of American influence in a way? Some of them are. Where yeah. it's like, so we basically tell the world, yo, let your people vote. And then we get in there like, all right, well, we will influence this election. <laughs> yeah. We got you. So we're not giving away potential true democracy. Yeah. So they That's, kind that, of need and- uh, That gets into more I, practical. I'm not, being, you know, I'm not yeah. being nuanced with yeah. my geopolitical yeah. take yeah. here, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that they- in order to maintain power or that managerial class or whatever it is so that they can actually compete with America, they need to have one group or they believe they need to have one group in charge. It's the mm -hmm. ultimate, I do not trust the people in a lot of ways. Yeah. That being said, I don't know. I like betting on us. I like betting on us. I like betting on us. I, and I'm betting on us with, with all I have in my life, my money and my yeah. effort and my, you know, and, and our, that, that's what we're doing. That, 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 yeah. that so brings me to, I, I, I make, I'm trying to make the ultimate bet get, on America. Why did it take you so fucking long to be, so maybe this is the issue. It's like guys like you who are smart, thoughtful, well-read, and actually really learn the topics instead of learning the buzzwords and like spitting them out there, uh, which is great when you called out Nikki Haley, she couldn't even name the three provinces. <laughs> that she wants us to fight for. And then she could, I mean, it was just a perfect example of, she's not even nuanced on this issue at all. But what, you have to go make a billion dollars in finance before you can go be in politics. Now, if you're in Turkey, you're working for, Mer for Erdogan, you're probably making $10 billion because he's your boy, but he's got you on his hip like this guy's fucking good and we need to work. I'm not saying that we should adopt that system no. at all. That being said, how do we get more people that are like you to stop speculating and start working for the government. So I'll tell you when I graduated from college, right? So I was in high school when the, when the planes hit the Twin Towers. I was in Cincinnati. A lot of my peers, when they graduated from college or didn't even graduate from college, went and served this country in the military. I, I grew up in Cincinnati. My dad was facing layoffs at the GE plant in Evendale when Jack Welch was the CEO of GE slashed about two thirds of the two thirds of the people in the plant where he worked. He had to go to night school to keep job security. For me, when I graduated from college, Bill Gates gave the commencement address at Harvard actually when I was graduating in 2007. And I was really looking forward to it. This is the wealthiest man in the world at that time. I'm excited, all right, tell us how it's done. And what we get is this like pathetic pre-canned speech about the importance of giving back. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how the hell does one get the things yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, to give you back? Do. You know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you skip that part of the speech. And I listened carefully and you didn't tell me. But, you know, I was, I was unapologetically going to say, all right, I'm going to do it honestly, going to do it the right way through hard work and mm -hmm. hopefully creating valuable things. But I'm in this to get ahead as a capitalist. Yeah. And, I don't, and I don't regret that decision. But I think that there's a side to each of us that is also hungry to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So mm -hmm. in each of us as an American, I think is, is the capitalist, but is the citizen too. Oh, of course. And so as long as I think we create the space for us to have, this gets super practical, but like I'd be the advice I'd give young people is don't think of your career as a like one thing. 
Think of it as like a storybook with a bunch of different chapters mm. in it. And I think if we are sort of think about the structure of life mm-hmm. in that sense, as opposed to right now, there's three chapters in life. One is education, then there's career, then there's retirement. Actually, one of the companies I founded, it's actually doing pretty well. It's in New York City. It's not far from here. It's actually doing really well. It's called Chapter. <laughs> it was about that third chapter in life, and it ended up becoming getting into the you know Medicare plan selection space. I mean, it started with a grand vision of redefining the third chapter, but ended up getting very practical, and the company's doing well. I've always had an interest in sort of redefining that three-chapter model, and I think that that will in some ways as a cultural norm, help kind of make more normal the fact that you take eight years to go serve your country, even if not in the front lines in Afghanistan, in the front lines of taking on a bureaucracy. And part of my best way to do that, to tell you, man, is through example. I mean, that's why I ran for president with the hope and expectation of being successful. And, you know, if that's what the people of this country want, and that's what you know, God's plan is, maybe I'll do that in the future. But I think that that's probably one of the best ways to actually do it It is just by showing that it can be done. It doesn't seem like you cut off your capital, you turned off your capitalist part or closed the capitalist chapter or whatever, but at what point were you like, because the thing you hear, and maybe you have so much money, it doesn't even matter, but the thing you hear a lot is you keep, the the fuck you number, the number that's enough money just keeps going up and up and up. I think it's an illusion illusion at some point in time. How did you realize that? that? I think it was actually that 2020 year that did that for me. It was kind of a wake up call. A lot Mm -hmm. of things happened. Karthik was born. I told you the story about, you know, I mean, that experience that Apoorva and I went through for those few months was a wake up call Mm -hmm. for me. And then look at my son in the eye every day for those few months while she was on the front lines doing what she needed to do. And then it was a few months after that, two months after that, that the whole George Floyd thing played out and the thing I talked about in Woke Inc. Mm-hmm. that, you know, in my own company, there's weird stuff going on that I hadn't thought about in across corporate America relating to this new ideology that for me, the combination of those things happening in a, in a very short period of time was kind of my call to action. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably organically takes everybody to have their own version of that to really authentically doing it as opposed to just doing it by rote. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if we created a cultural norm of that, and I think this is something you don't want instilled from on high, you know, woking to, you haven't gotten to the end of the book, but I play with the idea of mandatory service. I, when I say agree with 95% of the things that are in there, I'm not, I don't think that's actually the right answer because once you mandate it, it loses the quality of actually being service. But I do think that's, at, at least, at the very least, doing it through inspiration, mm-hmm. I think is something that is strictly positive. And that's what I hoped to achieve as the next president. I hope in some small measure we achieved that even through the campaign itself, but I'm not done. Mm-hmm. And so the answer to that question is important to me. And I don't have the clear answer other than agreeing with you that it needs to happen in this country. And, you know, the best way is you can't, it's easy, it's always easy to force other people to do something. It's a lot harder to do man up and step up and do it yourself. And so instead of pointing it, how can we get a country where other people do it? Maybe you just take a long, hard look in the mirror and ask yourself to, to maybe do what you demand of others. And that's what the last year was about for me. And I hope with some reflection, I haven't decided what I'm going to do next. I'm going to take some time on this one. You don't get dealt a blank slate very often, so I want to take take full advantage of that. But 
whatever I do next, hopefully will be guided by that same spirit of wanting to practice what I preach a little bit. Mm. And so whatever that is, we'll see where it goes. Vivek, I am, uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very thank happy we got to sit down yeah, with man. you, man. I'm this was, yeah. Thank you, dude. Great. Yeah, appreciate it. It's yeah. good to, really it. yeah, it's good to use, I think, platforms like this where you get this long time to it's really explain. Yeah. It's a tough game. It's a tough game, that politics. This 30-second soundbite is trying to get everything out. But I'm really glad that you got to explain everything because I feel like I understand your ethos way better. Yes, thank absolutely. You. And I think I, I, I see it through... Thank through you. those lenses. So thank you very much, guys. Give it up for Vivek Ramaswamy, future Vice President of the United States of America, maybe President one day.